0: This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 104. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
1: And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today we've got a beast of a podcast for you in an all-star lineup. We're talking beasts. Stars by Paro Itagaki with the crew of Manga Nation, Sakazu, Dark Fox 8, returning guest Morgana Sanjili, all join us for a nearly two hour discussion of the first two volumes of Beastars where we dive in to the world building themes and characters of Paro Itagaki's Masterpiece of a manga It's a great conversation And we're excited for you all to listen to it With some great folks We had on to discuss A fantastic
0: series mm-hmm, For sure, I, I really had a lot of fun With that discussion, we we, we recorded that podcast um, I think like just right after volume 2 came out I believe and I think at the time of this recording uh, when we're recording the intro here uh, volume 3 is now out which uh, we only had about two volumes of B stars to cover but like wow we had a lot to talk about mm <laughs> yeah, it's it's surprisingly very dense um, but I guess I guess before we even get on to B stars we have at least a little bit of news to talk about and uh, I think we should start off with uh, with some lists here, at least one list. And uh, you know, just in case you haven't been listening to the last couple of episodes, for whatever reason, um, the New York Times is once again dedicating an entire list to not just manga, but graphic novels in general. Because um, for a time, the New York Times decided, ah, you know, manga doesn't need its own best-selling list. Let's just get rid of that. But they were so grateful enough to... To bring it back in some shape or form, and now basically it's 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 a general list of best-selling graphic novels, so it doesn't just include manga, but all sorts of graphic novels from all sorts of different publishers. So different series like My Hero Academia, which usually just completely almost uh, dominate the book scan list, have a lot more stiff competition. Because uh, Volume 21 of My Hero Academia was the only volume of manga to rank on the list, and at number three out of 15 entries on the list, and for those uh, who may be curious, of uh, uh, Volume 21 of My Hero Academia is ranking right underneath uh, Best Friends and Guts from Rina uh who, from, from what I hear, is a very, very, very successful author at the moment.
1: Yeah, if you look, she has three other books on this list as well. She is one of the best-selling comics artists in the market
0: right now. It's the match of the century, My Hero Academia vs. Rena Talgemeyer. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, this last time we covered this list on the podcast, uh the only other the, the only manga to rank on the previous list was uh, a volume of Dragon Ball Super. So uh, and I think Lum and I were kind of talking off mic about this, about how uh, just from covering the book scan list all the time on the show every month, like, it's so weird to go from, again, seeing My Hero Academia just dominate one list to seeing it have only one place on uh, on the New York Times list. But but also, again, it's 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 having to compete with like literally every other graphic novel on sale in America. So it's just I, I just find that really interesting.
1: Yeah. My Hero not so dominant in the New York Times list, but still coming at a number three, quite respectable.
0: Mm hmm. G- give it time, though. I'm sure My Hero Academia is planning its conquest in the New York Times as we speak.
1: I mean, it is one of the best-selling comics in North America already, so it's still doing very well for itself.
0: This is true, yeah. But uh, that's really all I have to say about that.
1: Yes, and I'm sure everyone is wondering, because that is the only list we'll be talking about on this episode, but of course, as most people surely know, because we talked about it on the last episode, the results for another list have come in, NHK's... Rumiko Takashi Megapolist, but we will not be discussing this on the show because that will literally take hours (laughs) to go over all the results, and I cannot talk just myself about these results for hours, so there will be a dedicated episode on the list Maybe not on this show specifically, but I will record a podcast with people to discuss the results of the Rumiko Takashi Mega Polls. I already made several Twitter threads about it. Still plan to make a characters list that hasn't been made at the time of this recording. But there is a top 150 characters list. Very interesting. So yes, obviously that will be coming. You can count on old Lum Ramayasha to discuss all that Rumiko Takashi goodness but we will not be talking about it on the Mount Everest podcast at this time. And I just wanted to make sure everyone was clear in case you were wondering from last episode where I gave all that speculation what uh, my thoughts on the full list would be. I will say one thing, though. Uh I... Was right on the money that Kikyo was near the top 10 on the characters list. It seems in the interim results she was in the top 10, but then she switched with a Konane in the full results. So I was uncertain if Kikyo made it towards the top, but she did. So I was very happy to see that.
0: I'm surprised you're not just going to dedicate an entire episode of the Lum Squad to it.
1: It will be a special podcast. I don't know if specifically I'll label it as a Lum Squad episode. I've been considering doing another series of podcasts, more generally covering Rumiko Takashi series, uh, in addition to Lum Squad. But these are things that are all in the works right now. But rest assured, I definitely plan to talk about this list, because I have a lot of thoughts, and I do want to gush over it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have taken a peek at your threads, and boy, you... There's, there's a lot to talk about there.
1: <laughs> and I haven't even done the characters list yet, and there's 150 characters, so that's going to take some time. I need to make sure I have time to spend on that, but, you know, uh, no one else is making these threads and talking about it, but I'm passionate about it, and I like to share it with people, so uh, look forward to that coming soon.
0: You're doing the Lord's work, and by doing the Lord's work, I mean...
1: Uh... I'm doing the Lum's work. <laughs>
0: I was gonna say if, if our lord were Ramiko Takahashi, you're basically doing Ramiko Takahashi's work. <laughs> but uh yeah, anyway, uh moving on to just a little bit of serialization news, not a ton, but there were two two new series coming up from uh from authors that we thought you guys might be interested in. Uh Kei Sanbe, uh for those who may not know, is the author of uh, of such well-known series as Erased. And uh, another series that is being released by yen press currently uh, entitled "For the Kid I Saw in my Dreams um that I believe is still is still going. I was kind of double checking before we recorded the episode as far as I could tell I think it is still it's still being released um, in Japanese I mean it's still it's obviously being released in English, but I mean if that series is still going, that's surprising to me because kei Sanbei is once again doing another series. Uh, For Kodansha's Evening Magazine in particular, uh, it was announced in the 23rd issue of that magazine that Keisanbei is launching another new manga uh, entitled Mizutamari ni Ukabushima, or roughly translated to The Island Where Puddles Float. It's a pretty interesting sounding title. So the first chapter of this series will have 44 pages, including an opening color page, and, uh, the series will also be featured on the cover for that issue. And, uh, just to kind of read, uh, I guess sort of the, uh, the, the blurb that was included for the advertisement in the 23rd issue. Uh, we struggle to live because we have hope. We try our best to be happy because there is someone whom we should protect. We believe in tomorrow and walk forward because there is a person in the far off distance. An older brother and younger sister who spend their days waiting for their beloved mother. A checkered fate suddenly visits the older brother who is thinking of his sister. In the middle of a downpour of rain, the story begins. That is that is quite ominous, and I'm sure this 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 new story is going to be very sad, uh, and I am probably gonna cry reading it. Um, I really need to get on the rest of Keisambe's work. Um, as I have very mixed feelings on erased overall, but like from what I have heard of um of uh what was it uh for the kid I saw in my dreams uh i've heard i've heard pretty good things about that, so I want to get on that and uh i'm I'm sure yen press will probably pick this up as well um it it seems like it seems like k Sanbe's works i'm i'm sure are popular enough to obviously warrant licensing more of his works, so i can't wait to possibly read this.
1: Yeah, I think the message of the story will ultimately be a hopeful one, kind of like how the ending of Erased was a happy ending, uh, even though there will definitely be some drama and heartbreak during the story. I also am very mixed on Erased. I like the first two-thirds of the story, or maybe even three-fourths. It's really the ending, which I wasn't a big fan of, like just that final stretch of it. But it was very well written for the most part, so I am definitely interested in more works from Keisambe.
0: I vividly remember when the Erased Anime was a thing, and it was uh, airing weekly, and like just how many people were super into that show.
1: Yes, it was definitely the most popular show of that
0: season, for sure. I want to say that was 2016, 2017? Yeah, the winter 2016 season. Okay, yeah, because I think that was also the same season that uh, the first season of uh, Rakugo Shinju came out as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lan, what what is, what, is our, what is this next new series coming out?
1: Yeah, so fans of the Gundam Thunderbolt manga will be interested in knowing that Yasuo Otagaki is making a new manga that will be out in December 17th in Futa Bansha's Manga Action Magazine. The manga is called Diana and Artemis. It is a science fiction action story centered on preserving peace on the moon. So, it seems to be another sci fi epic like uh, Gundam Thunderbolt. So, perhaps there is a crossover appeal if you enjoy that manga. I enjoyed that manga a lot at Notagaki's Ark, so, very interesting, curious about this new series.
0: Mm, the, the The cover for what i'm assuming is the first volume alone is uh, is pretty striking i would i would definitely pick this up just 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 on the cover alone
1: yeah it's interesting his characters have very long necks that definitely <sighs> sticks out to me but they also have a very well-defined uh features so that also is another appeal of his art But that does it for serialization-related stuff. Let's mention a licensing announcement. Obviously, there's a ton of licensing news to cover from Anime NYC, but you can look forward to a subsequent podcast dedicated to just that because that will take a long time to go through. And we don't quite have time for that on this episode, but what we do have time for is to mention that Amazon has listed that there is an English release of Keiji Koike's Heaven's Door Extra Works that is going to be put out by Last Scouts Publishing, which collects short manga by Koike, and this book is set to ship on April 1st, 2020. And if you want a plot synopsis, it is basically a sci-fi collection of psychedelic short stories by Keiichi Koike, a drug in paper form if you want a succinct pitch of the appeal of the book, and is the first full-length book of Keiichi Koike's to be published in English. So hopefully this is not an elaborate April's Fools joke and this book is truly being published next year and we can check it out and in lieu of drugs next year is 420 you can just read this book <laughs>
0: uh look who needs who needs who needs drugs when you have manga am i right
1: yeah i mean haven't you ever read a manga and wondered man they must have been high when they drew this <laughs>
0: Oh man. The, man, yeah, I've definitely heard that before. Cause you know, you can't you can't you can't be creative unless you're on drugs. Never. No. <laughs> can't just be creative. But anyway, um, yeah, that's I, I know you mentioned uh yeah, there's, there's 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 so so, so much licensing news that come out of anime NYC. And uh whether we record a podcast about anime NYC or we just wait until a later episode to talk about those licensing announcements. We will talk about those on a future podcast, regardless of how or when. So expect us to talk about those, hopefully soon.
1: You will hear it. We will talk it. But first, we are going to continue on with our coverage for this episode by discussing a story that gave us all a little bit of stress over the weekend. I know that Zach Davison was worried, oh my god, I won't have to write... His obituary, would I? And whose obituary would that have been? It, well, Lady Asamoto, a uh, claimed author behind several classic manga like Space Pirate Captain Harlot, Galaxy Express 39, and Queen Emeraldis*, had been hospitalized in Turin, Italy last Friday. It is suspected that he had a stroke and he was in serious condition. And people noticed that he was speaking inarticulately at an event in Italy. And then afterwards, staff took him back to his hotel. And then he was taken to a hospital with uh, an emergency transport.
0: Oof.
1: But luckily, uh, Matsumoto's condition was stable. He underwent a head examination at the hospital. But the examination did not detect any serious symptoms, and so they are expecting Matsumoto will be discharged from the hospital and return to Japan following his recuperation. So, thankfully, we had a little bit of a scare that something was wrong with Leiji Matsumoto, like his health was in crisis, but it seems that he is not under any serious symptoms. Uh, We don't exactly know what ails him. But luckily, he seems to be doing fine, and he seems to be continuing to go on and just being with us, which is great to hear and see, because he still has many years left of him, and many more projects to make, and many more appearances to make around the world, and we definitely uh, would be sad to part with such a master of the medium so soon.
0: Oh man. Yeah, that's that's some scary stuff. I'm I'm glad he's okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Here's to many more years of Lady Matsabata. I mean, it would have been a real tragedy if, you know, he passed away during like the an event that was meant to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Captain Harlock on Italian television. That would have been it was a mo- cause of celebration and I'm glad it didn't turn into a a moment of mourning.
0: Yeah, that would have been pretty sad.
1: Mm-hmm. But Lady Matsumoto is fine, and he is still with us, and again, here's hoping he is with us for many more years to come. But another big story that came out recently is that in the fight against piracy, Kadansha has struck a mighty blow, because recently the Osaka District Court has awarded Kadansha for its claim for 160 million yen, which translates to about... $1.47 million against three site administrators of the Haruka Yumi no Ato leech site last Tuesday. And those three administrators had already received guilty sentences for copyright infringement back in January. And earlier this month, on November 1st, the court denied their appeal. And so now that they have been fined and they have been sentenced and charged. And uh, Kadansha has... Earned a significant monetary retribution for their piracy crimes. So this is another a good blow against those rotten pirates and a worthwhile piece of news to take note of. And the courts being harsh on the crime of piracy and uh, publishers continuing to fight the good fight.
0: Hmm. Yeah. This is this is a good thing for sure.
1: And next we have some news on the other side of the shore here in North America. Let's talk about some convention news. Because ReadPop and Crunchyroll recently announced that they are partnering for next year's Crunchyroll Expo in San Jose. Crunchyroll Expo 2020 will basically be organized by Pop, Like... They haven't bought the convention outright necessarily, but they will be the organizer. And Pop of course, is the organizer of New York Comic Con, Chicago Comic Entertainment Expo, PAX West, many, many high-profile cons. So this is just pretty significant in terms of Culture Expo looking to expand partnering with a seasoned organizer of fan conventions and events. And so it'll be very curious to see what this partnership will mean for Crunchyroll Expo 2020, which will run next year from September 4th through 6th. And tickets for next Crunchyroll Expo will go on sale on November 26th at 12pm EST. And finally, in a last bit of convention news... Anime Central 2020 recently announced that it will be hosting the authors of Didn't I Say to Make My Abilities Average in the Next Life Light Novels, Funa and Itsuki Akata, at their event next year. Funa is, of course, the novelist, the writer, and Itsuki Akata is the illustrator. Both of the people involved in making this light novel series will appear in... Anime Central 2020. So that's pretty uh, interesting. And Anime Central 2020 is going to take place next year from May 15th through 17th at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare and Donald E. Stephens Convention Center in Rosemont, Illinois. So if you're a fan of this series and I know that it has a anime airing this season, then definitely go check it out.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, but... Uh... Yeah, that's about all the news we have time to cover this time, but uh, but I think for now uh, we could finally get into our B stars discussion.
1: Yeah, I think though, you know, I think it's that hour of the day that I need to go spend in a specialized room and to simulate my natural environment. So I think that we'll take a break and I'm gonna go head in there into my room adorned with all my Rubiko Takahashi related media posters and all sorts of uh apparel and memorabilia. Just spend an hour there just relaxing in my natural environment so that my primal insects can be sued and suppressed
0: yeah because as we as we all know wild lums uh when they look at a rumiko takahashi related poster it releases endorphins in the brain that really help relax them
1: yes otherwise i'll go around shocking people left and right
0: oh no well it'll be burned to a crisp well that's that's good to know i'll have to watch out for that um but yeah, no, we're gonna take a break, and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see you guys at the end of the show. But for now, uh, enjoy our B stars discussion.
2: last time rhythm freedom oca if you think to what sky goichi got last me merci bova
3: brother we are to salute on vaser salt mich was
1: in a fandom divided by gatekeeping and pettiness, the manga community needs a manga to unite them. A manga that transcends all the mistrust and discrimination that runs rife in this world and addresses it with insightful and thought-provoking social commentary. A manga that will take center stage in fandom and draw the attention of people from all walks of life and all sorts of different interests. And they call that manga Star. And we are honored to be joined today by the members of the Manga Maka Nations crew who have been shouting the praises of B Stars for over two and a half years now. We are so happy to welcome Dakazu. Yes, hello. And Dar Fox. What's up, everybody? And of course, always a pleasure, Morgana. Hi there. And Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about this series, guys. Uh, like, Manga Machinations is where I first got awareness of Beastars from the video you guys made on your YouTube channel, like, a long time ago, and then from listening to the podcast. It always sounded like an intriguing series, and I was so happy when Wiz officially picked it up and announced it last year at Anime NYC, and then finally, around Anime Expo this year, I they released it, I got a copy of it, and from the first volume, I was enthralled. And yeah, I'm super excited to talk
4: about it uh, with you guys. Thanks
3: for having us on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting us. And um, I I have to say, uh, I I need to point this out. I I you know I, I've listened to the podcast, so I know of your intros, Lum. But like being <laughs> present for them is like an extra, <laughs> like an extra extra, very extra, like marvel. <laughs> thank
1: you so much. I try my best.
3: <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for bringing the heat.
2: <laughs> oh
1: yeah! I mean, we gotta bring the passion to a series that is as good as B Stars.
0: I mean, the the series does take place in the drama club, so I mean, it'd be kind of weird if we didn't <laughs> if we didn't bring our own like dramatic flair.
1: We gotta be theatrical with it. We gotta enthrall the audience, like Louise. But what is B Stars about?
3: Who wants to take the honors of describing the premise of the world? I'm gonna throw it to Darfox. Oh no! Well, I think you're throwing it to me because I've done this multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I've given the B Star's pitch. Um, Do it. B Star is is essentially kind of like just a really good high school drama, but the twist is that it's a world with um, anthropomorphized animals. You did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's very similar to Zootopia in a sense where like they they draw a lot of like racial allegories with um, between predators and prey, carnivores and herbivores. B stars is quite a bit more complex than Zootopia. I like Zootopia fine, but you know, it's 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 clearly like a kids movie, and mm-hmm. B stars is a lot uh, is a lot messier. Um, I always call it like a, a very messy allegory where you can't you can't really make a direct comparison between like predators and people of color and herbivores and like white people or minority or majority people because it it becomes very problematic very quickly. That's one of the reasons I like Beastars, because it, it actually kind of engages with a lot of like tough subject matters in ways that usually you see him kind of surface level. Beastars, I feel, goes quite deeper. But that's just kind of like, that, that's kind of the background and the flavor. R- really, like, the, the core of the story is um Legoshi, who's like this kind of quiet gray wolf man. And he's a gray wolf, so he's really tall and kind of intimidating. But he's, he's kind of like a, I want to say timid person, but he's a very gentle person. And it's about him kind of navigating the the very perilous world where people expect him to act certain ways, and um, both on um, both you know both sides of the spectrum, you know, our expect him to act certain way, his carnivore um, peers expect him to act certain ways, and he doesn't really quite fit in any of these modes. And he's kind of just like trying to create his own happiness and you know protect the people around him when terrible things happen.
2: He's a good boy. We love Lagoshi. <laughs>
0: very good wolf boy.
2: <laughs> Very good wolf boy.
4: I also mentioned that uh, Beastars is running in Weekly Shonen Champion, and it's done by Paru Itagaki, who uh, recently revealed that she is the daughter of Keisuke Itagaki, creator of Baki, and all those other- <laughs> that long-running series. Which is crazy and awesome.
2: It is awesome. I, I like, freaked out when I heard about it, and my husband's like, what's up? I'm like, this is not going to mean anything to you, but <laughs> let, let me tell you- <laughs>
3: Yeah, it was it was, was totally like a weird kind of eerie thing where um, I, I guess certain fans have been thinking about this for a while. It's been a long rumor thing and it, it makes sense if they have the same last name and they're running the same magazine. Um, People are going to just make that connection. But like I, I wasn't really present of them running the same magazine. I didn't know Grappler Baki's manga's name. I'm, I'm not like a huge fan of that series. I'm just kind of ignorant about it. Um. So, so like it was just total mind blowing for me, and it's just, it's a really cool little thing, you know. It's like I tweeted like reality, stranger than fiction, because it just it just felt like something that was like written by by you know in a story or something.
2: It itself is a manga. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I remember rumors ages ago that um, Rumiko Takahashi was married to Kazuki Takahashi because they had the same <laughs> surname. Uh, that's not true, as as far as I know, that's not true. <laughs> I think she's much older than... Cause I, think so. too. I think so. I think so. I mean, hey, you know, good for her. But if she wants to nab herself a younger man... <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I'm interested in uh, seeing like her autobiographical manga about her relationship with her family. Uh, that's gonna come out on the 25th, I think.
4: Yeah, it's coming out in Kiss magazine. Uh, Paru no Graffiti.
1: That's such a great pun.
4: <laughs> it's probably the reason why she decided to reveal her relationship with her father, because I assume that series is going to cover that.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting. Like her growing up as like the daughter of a guy who's created like a one of the, a really long running and popular series, and how that might have influenced her. But I think more than like any influences from Baki. Uh, I think that Ikigaki has definitely just generally been interested in by stories about worlds filled with uh, anthropomorphic animals. I read a, a translation of an interview she did, I think earlier this year, around the time Dumbo came out, where she was talking about how much uh, Disney films influenced her uh, as a kid and that Beastars kind of owes a lot to to Disney films in a sense because they kind of normalized the idea of these worlds with anthropomorphic animals to her, which I thought was really fascinating. And in a sense, you can definitely see Beastars as kind of like maybe in a a more adult reimagining of those kind of worlds.
2: I think I actually drew a comparison to Disney when I wrote the review about Beastars number one. Um, because, yeah, there is that very like, you, you think of Disney movies when you think of like animal characters, I think, or at least I do, um, because a lot of us grew up with it um you know there's so many jokes about how robin hood as a fox is like kind of a sexual awakening for for young girls <laughs> um so it's really it is really interesting to note that that she had that influence cuz it it totally reads to me mhm and
1: from uh, other interviews that i've kind of read it seems that she she definitely had this idea of a world filled with anthropomorphic animals since she was young and then in uh, 2013, while she was at university, she drew, like, a a one-volume doujin called Beast Complex, which is kind of about, like, an adult version of Legoshi and Haru in their 20s, kind of navigating through their relationship. And that uh, got a lot of great reception and encouraged her to pursue a career as a manga artist. And then in early 2016, she made uh, Beast Complex, like, as a series... And there, that was a series of standalone chapters of kind of explored relationships between different types of animals in the society, and that has not been brought over. So I haven't really read it, but I remember you describing it on Manga Magazine Stock as you, and it sounded really fascinating, especially like the story about the camel and the wolf, and uh, it ends with like the camel giving one of his fingers to the wolf to eat because he finds her so attractive. So she's really fascinating with some really kind of interesting stuff between animals, like different dynamics and stuff. But uh, apparently like Itagaki's editor was interested in seeing her develop uh this uh, this world into like a more ongoing narrative focused on the centralized cast of characters. And from there she came up with the idea of B-Star, which was like the the honor from the series where it's like uh in in a world full of all this conflict this title is given to a person who is, like, a leader, someone to look up to, to unite people. And so that became kind of the team that uh, the Beastars, the Mallingists, revolves around. It's like, this is a series that is exploring ideas of that diversity and discrimination and conflict between different groups of people. And then the the ideal of the B Star is someone who can unite people together. Which I think is, like, a really fascinating team. And, uh, I'm curious to see how that develops through the course of the series. Uh, and is there anything you guys want to like add on to that in terms of like Nagaki's background and like her
3: inspirations uh, on Beastars? I do recall hearing her say something along the lines that like she's always been more interested in animals than humans. She she would always watch like nature documentary shows. So like I I just think that it, it, it extra emphasis on the fact that like she just has this connection to like animals and it almost feels like not to be dramatic, but it almost feel like she was like born to to write this series, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, and, like, I I would say that I don't generally, um, you know, I'm not generally attracted to things that are about animals, not because I don't like them, um, but, like, I don't think of myself as, like, ah, yes, I'm totally interested in this book about humanoid animals. But, but you guys talked at Beastars so much, uh, DakaZu and Darfox, that I was like, all right, well, I get, you know, I get this free advanced copy. Uh, I'll read it. And I was really uh, impressed with it and, and really, you know, I, I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying it, considering I don't think it would be the type of thing I'd like normally. Um, but for some reason, she's got a really good handle on how to make the subject matter. And, and maybe it's because it's it's bringing in all these other, um, you know, the social commentary and, and all these other things. Um, But I am really invested in these characters, which I don't know that I would have been if the story wasn't as strong.
3: Yeah, I, I want to emphasize, I mentioned earlier that it's basically just a high school drama um but by that i mean that this is probably the the best high school drama i've ever read um the 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 characters um are believable um they they're not one dimensional um even characters who at first appear as villains you realize they're not really villains they just they just might be shitheads or maybe just like they might have a one track mind but they're their own person they they have their own complex past and like it it really does a good job of not painting anybody in a corner and Everybody really has their own struggles and their own, um, you know, they've had to deal deal with their own prejudices. And regardless whether it's you know animals or not, like I I feel that that's like it's it's really well done. I guess is what I'm saying, and, and and it makes sense to me that that you enjoy it, even though that you're not really interested in kind of like the whole like animal human like thing. It's 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 just a really good story, and and have like really really good characters.
2: Yeah, there are no really flat characters. It's very, um, I mean, like. Not to not to get too in depth in the characters themselves, because again, we don't want to spoil anybody. But like, you know, certain characters come across like, oh, the, yeah, like they're set up to be a villain almost. Or you are like, you expect, like I expected Louis to be a little bit more um, like antagonistic, but he is kind of just complicated at least so far in the in the two volumes I've read. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are things yeah.
4: that get revealed about all characters, including all the main characters, that just build on both the world. And how complex those characters are, and I'm trying really hard not to yeah. say anything
0: that's not spoilers.
3: Yeah. Um. So, like, the uh, volume two is kind of our cutoff, but I'll I'll go ahead and say that like volume two introduces Bill. Is it Bill the the tiger?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tiger.
3: Yeah. So Bill um, introduces Bill as. Um, almost like a a shitty counterpart to Legoshi. He's, he's, he seems like he might be, uh, like a racist who, like, looks down on herbivores. And I'll, I'll spoil you as much to say that, like, that's not necessarily true. Right. Bill is kind of just like a dickhead. Like, I, I've, I've known, (laughs) I've known many Bills in my life. Um, he, he, you know, he, he thinks with his dick. He, you know, like, he, he's that kind of person. Um, I'm not excusing that kind of attitude and, and him doing heinous stuff, but like, he, he he's just kind of like emotionally immature um and he's kind of too big for his britches
2: and that kind of that kind of characterization humanizes these animal characters right like that's what makes them so believable um you know cuz you look at you know you look at bill and you're like oh it's a tiger man like you know like to- tony the tiger over here um <laughs> but but you know having that like um that conflict or that like you know a very believable personality makes him really human in a way that like I don't see in other, I mean, I guess I don't, I don't expose myself to a lot of uh, anthropomorphized animal content. Maybe I should, maybe I'd be surprised by what I, what's out there.
4: I don't think you're gonna find anything better than B stars. Well, that's probably true.
2: <laughs> but I might find good things.
0: Well, well while we're while we're talking about uh, Bill in particular, uh, wh- one moment that really like stood out to me, uh, and one line of dialogue in particular that really I think kind of encapsulates like the the themes of B stars and like what it's trying to explore. Um, I don't know, just just so- something about the part where uh, Bill's talking to Louis about Lagoshi. And how like Lakoshi oh, he does, he doesn't act like how a carnivore should and all that, and how he says like, "Oh well, I'm glad I was born a tiger and all I could think was, huh, you're, uh, your privilege is showing there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> nice. uh, I don't just just something about that really like r- really, really just kind of stood out to me. Um, again, I think it really encapsulates like what Beastars is trying to explore
3: yeah and 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 that kind of goes to the stuff i was talking about how like you can't draw very simple direct allegories between the carnivores being people of color and a rewards being like uh, white people or 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 a majority um class Mm -hmm. because if you do that then like you can read the story as like reverse racism and tons of stuff that like i I just think is super Um, wrong-headed these are animals these really aren't people with fur on them these are actual animals and on um, volume two, um, I believe volume two that talks about like all the stuff they have to do. Like daily, they have to go sit in certain rooms that fit their kind of like ecosystem in the in the animal kingdom to kind of soothe their like animal nature, so they could, they could go off in the world and interact with their peers and not have any like weird pent up problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the way Bill is and, and, and the way how he, he really is kind of, like, privileged in a lot of ways. He's privileged in, like, with a, with a strong body. And um, l- later on in the series, y- you're going to see things where a strong carnivore is kind of, like, a coveted thing, like, in society.
0: Mm-hmm. A,
3: a, mm-hmm. As, like, a leader, as, a, as as like, something that's attractive and charismatic and cool. So, like, th- there is a lot of, like, privilege or, or something that you could read like privilege in something like like being a tiger. But at the same time, there's tons of discrimination, you know, like they're also feared and they're also, like, not trusted in certain, like, social situations and stuff in the same way that, like, uh, you know, some, a minority might not be trusted, um, you know, in a store, you know, like people might watch a black person walking through a store and stuff like that. All that kind of stuff happens to, like, people like Bill a lot, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than just, like, a very simple um, analogy. And it, it, you kind of just have to, I, in my opinion... You kind of have to just take a lot of these interactions and a lot of these like um, character moments on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're all unique.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure.
3: Yeah, the world of Beastars is very complex because these
1: characters, they all have very distinct animal attributes that make them different from each other. And they require different like uh, accommodations for each other, especially to live cooperatively in this world. One of my favorite background details in the series is that all throughout the school, you have these little PSAs posted up on the walls that have like these instructions like don't run in the hallways because if a large kind of into you, you're going to get really hurt. Or, you know, uh, there's no flying in the hallways. Large animals need to help out clean up like these large mats after school. Like, there's all these little bit of world-building details that Igaki slips into the background that kind of give you a sense that there is a lot of different of accommodations needed in order for all these different types of animal people to, you know, exist in the society and, and not get in each other's way or, like, accidentally hurt each other, even, because... Uh, you know, because characters like Lagoshi and Bill are so strong, they could very easily hurt like smaller characters. So that's like a, a really interesting, very complicated dynamic that I think definitely prevents B from being like direct uh, allegory to anything with a hu- with like a like explicit uh, uh, conflicts in the real world, but it is still very interesting social commentary with lessons we can apply to uh, real world situations. And it's definitely inspired by uh, real world forms of discrimination too, which I find
3: very fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Um, We actually, at one point, we we asked Paro Itagaki um, through Tumblr I think it was Dagzu. We we, we, yeah. we, we literally asked her. Is like, you know, is this specifically riffing on all like racial tension happening in in the world or in the United States? And like her answer was something like, uh, like no, like not specifically. This is just about discrimination, you know, in all shapes and sizes. It's young and old, um, fat or skinny, you know, black or white. Like it's it's discrimination. It's judging people for what they look like and and not for like who they are.
4: Well, specifically, she said she doesn't have any awareness of writing about social commentary, but it could just be that what she's writing about is nature and that human problems may just be very close to like natural nature problems just universally.
1: I definitely get the sense she's interested in exploring like human nature through the relationships of these animals as like metaphors for the conflicts between people make between different groups, like the utterizing of other people forming these uh, very specific forms of classes or identities and then discriminating against others who don't fit into that mold.
2: I wonder... I wonder if part of that um, exploration comes out of the fact that we, you were saying earlier that, you know, she's been thinking about stories like this for years and years. And I mean, that's clear in the way that she's set up this world where, yeah, like it's, it's complicated to be like a large animal or a small animal and everybody needs their specific, um, you know, they they need help in certain ways or they need specific accommodations. Um, which honestly, if I was writing a story about anthropomorphized Animals. I wouldn't even really think about like, oh yeah, like the mouse person probably needs help reaching something high up from the elephant person. You know, like it wouldn't even, you know, really occur to me. Be in, but she's been living in this world mentally for so long that maybe some of this um, this social commentary is just a matter of like she's created such a full world um, that she's inhabited mentally for so long that it makes sense to bring in these issues. Um, because that's how, you know, communities function. There's a lot of separating of tribes. There's a lot of conflict. And if you don't have conflict, you don't have an interesting story, right? Like there needs to be something there. Um, so I wonder how much of it is conscious and how much of it is just like the natural progression of having lived mentally in this space for so long and and gotten close to these characters and kind of, I mean, she's really thought these these characters out.
3: Yeah, like certain details in certain details in the story, it really does feel like it's it's a boat of inspiration that comes from a different world, right? Like, um, Lumi mentioned like all, all the world building, other stuff, uh, all, like other PSAs on the walls. There was one of them I was talking about, like, um, Carnivores don't sharpen your nails on the tables. You're you're liable for all damages because <laughs> you know, like a a, a big cat, he, they're gonna have the impulse to just sharpen their nails on wood near them, and they're like, oh wait, I just literally just tore apart my desk. Uh, one well, now, well, you're it's gonna come out of your freaking tuition or, or whatever it is, um, stuff like that. And and I've also seen one that was like you know, small bodied animals you will know, stick to the walls. To minimize like you know tragedies of them getting trampled but like imagine like like it already takes them a while to get places you know but and but now they have to like actually walk along the walls which is like the most indirect way to get across a room like the, 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 like life must be really hard for the small animals and that's i'll spoil you as much as to say like that's something that has been um explored too much in what i've read of these stars um, but it it is mentioned a lot, you know. Like, um, it, it's it's kind of frequent for big animals, um, or big-bodied animals to, you know, taxi, um, small-bodied animals around. It's encouraged. It's it's kind of like a a, a, cur- a courtesy that that they offer each other. It's um, it's it's a really interesting world. It's really well done.
2: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine being like, you know, tiny, like a mouse or a rabbit, and you like have to make it to class before the bell and, like, I mean, may- maybe a rabbit can make it, but, like, if you're small, that's gonna be hard. Marsupia or yeah. something, yeah. Right. You have to constantly be mindful of
1: other larger animals, like, invading your space so that you don't accidentally get hurt. So it's, like, being constantly aware and that has to be exhausting.
3: Yeah, and, and conversely if you're a large body animal, you're just doing your thing and suddenly... Like God forbid, you could be a murderer because you right. you, you literally just yeah you literally just trampled like uh, one of your your peers and it it wasn't out of um spite it wasn't you know it, like you literally didn't look down in that one moment and you you trampled one of your peers like it's scary for everybody.
2: Oof.
1: Yeah, and we have a small interaction like that in the first volume where it's just like this. uh jackal character in the cafeteria almost uh tramples on this like small rodent girl and it's just like these kind of situations are like just everyday things that they have to be mindful of and it's really interesting little details like that that fill out the world
2: it's really interesting to note how like um We've been talking about, like, uh the social commentary and discrimination and how complex this world is in that regard and, and this constant fear of, you know, accidentally hurting someone or accidentally getting hurt. But in some ways, she's almost created this kinder world where, you know, again, larger-bodied animals just assume that they're going to help smaller-bodied animals, like, traverse the hallways. You know, th- th- there's a little bit more consideration for, I think, what we might – um, what we might call a handicap, you know, like there's a little bit more um accommodation and accessibility because there's just so many different kinds of creatures with so many different kinds of needs. And so it's almost like Itagaki's created this ideal, I mean, I know the idea is kind of that it's a utopia because the, the carnivores don't eat the herbivores and everybody gets along in peace, more or less. Um But it's also kind of a utopia in that it like, is considerate of all these differing needs which is Just something wait that for I it. Yeah. that's oh, the ideal <laughs> <Wait> for <laughs> it. the ideal
1: I think that the the society in Beastars wants to present but I don't know if it necessarily reflects yes. the reality
2: no no but I, I I think that it's interesting that like you know we have we live in a world that has has so many people with so many differing needs and I don't think we're that accommodating um to to most of those needs, and it's kind of put forth in the first couple of volumes of B stars that there is some consideration because there you just have to you know there's it's, it's necessity um but now da is telling me maybe <laughs> maybe there are other there are other things to expect. <laughs> like with that room where the uh, every animal has
1: to go and you know spend an hour just relaxing in like a environment that stimulates like their natural environment like there's definitely efforts made like that to uh, foster a uh, inclusive and a harmonious uh relationship between people and accommodate their needs but There's definitely incredible tension like from the very beginning of the series throughout between different groups of people. And it's clear that there's different forms of discrimination, not just between the carnivores and herbivores, but between different species, even uh, within the same species. And of course, even in this world, there's still uh, sexism and classism uh, present as well. You have uh elite kids like Ui, who kind of look down on uh more lower status people you have like that entire chapter with Haru where she's just a victim of very uh specifically gendered stigma and discrimination especially in the second volume where she's uh, slut-shamed by male characters uh because she's sleeps around a lot and you also have like many just small moments where people make assumptions of like other characters because of what animal uh they are even a comedic moment like where uh like in the first chapter you have like the squirrel being criticized for not being able to crack a nut because they're a squirrel like just some assumptions that people can do things or are a certain way because of what they're associated with and then, uh, you know, there's, and then classism wise, you have like Mizuchi, the the harlequin rabbit, who considers herself more valuable, uh, more important than Haru, who's just a normal dwarf rabbit. And, uh, there's just a dynamic there that there's just inside because she's an endangered species, even though they're both rabbits, she is more important and more wordy production. She considers herself better than Haru's. So even beyond this the the big carnivore herbivore divide we get presented with, we just have these seeds of there's all these other forms of discrimination, these different uh, social groups and structures in in the society so it's all really volatile and it's just kind of people go along their daily lives like trying to get along but there's always so the, there's just this constant uh, ingrouping and grouping that's always being made between different groups of people that's that causes rifts and conflicts consistently
2: yeah uh you were talking about haru and her um her sexual exploits and i find that really fascinating um this concept that she you know she's a rabbit so therefore she's sexually voracious which is a funny stereotype, you know, if you know anything about rabbits and breeding, but also, um, the fact that she, she's indiscriminate in terms of who she sleeps with, um, like their species. I mean, their you know, whether they're a carnivore or an herbivore. And I find that really fascinating because, you know, growing up, I always really liked animals and, and, and like Paro Itagaki, watched a lot of, uh, animal plant, you know, documentaries on animals and things like that and animal mating practices are also different and what animals can mate together is very complicated and what um what animals can pr- reproduce is are very different and i don't know if they're ever going to get into this but i'm very curious about what like protected sex looks like like do two animals who can't possibly have a child together have to worry about getting pregnant do you know uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh everything okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna i don't know i have to wait and just read because i'm very curious about about that because like you know uh in theory certain animals shouldn't be able to mate at all and i'm wondering if that's just a very like a, a very human aspect of of this world is that reproduction works differently
3: Inter species, like, relationships, um, become, like, a major part of the series and the difficulties and stigmas that it faces in society. And, and, like, I, I, I guess, yeah, like, wait for it, but also be excited that, like, this series thinks of all those things. This, this I was series, say, um, compl- it continues to grow. It, it doesn't reach. Yeah,
2: I go can- ahead. I, I can't believe it's answering that question. <laughs> For me. Like it's such a specific question that I feel like uh, you know, most people wouldn't really think or care about. But I'm sitting here like, so how do a wolf and a rabbit even attempt this? Like, <laughs> she's very small. I don't <laughs> I don't I don't think this is
3: possible. Isn't there a, like an extra it's not a chapter, but you know how in the end of the volumes um they they have she like Paulo De talks yet, about? No, not yet. Right, yeah, the, the I know night. what you're talking about. Not yet. Okay, yeah, there, okay. there's some there's some explicit detail given.
2: Oh, good. Eventually, <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> to,
3: to, to to the point. There's a couple like really explicit stuff that happens in this manga, like sexually, um, and I'm I'm really I'm, I'm really curious to see like how that's like, I, I I don't I don't think we'll, Viz will censor that, but like. It, no, the, I mean, what's the age group? What's the age? Is this? Um, I'm looking at the book. Well, right this now. is
1: Viz signature, so they aim this more at an
3: or older crowd, even though okay, older they, teen plus. I guess that's okay, but some of the stuff is like would would definitely wouldn't be in a Pg-13 film, is what I'm saying.
2: I <laughs> think I mean my personal feelings about age ratings on manga is like, well, if it's something that teenagers are actively going through, if it's something that reflects like a teenage experience, then to some degree. I think it's fine for an older teen to read it. I don't know how explicit this gets. I mean, if it's like... And, and there's a difference between, like, pornographic and, like, including sexual content. And that's, like, a different... That's a that's a hard line to Yeah,
3: to I, I I won't clarify any further because the scene I'm thinking about just, like, includes, like, three or four other things that haven't even been introduced. So, like, it it's just, like, to even hint about it would be, like, spoilers, so... Um. Okay, no, don't say <laughs> I, I, anything. Yeah I I guess like like, like most of this stuff uh, I I just want to say that like one of the reasons why I like this book um you know I've I've talked a lot about the characters and the world is it's it's all good stuff but but also just just like the way Paro Gaki sets up these reveals it's really impressive like it, it never rests on his laurels it, it never just like it, it's always introducing new stuff that's like really surprising like man like you're you're really going here with this like okay like to the point where like sometimes the book feels like it changes genres
2: yeah, um, it's, you know, for the most part, it's ostensibly a story about Legoshi, but it seems to kind of, I don't know, explore a lot, you know, while, while still, like, keeping up with him, you know, th- there's, there's just so much there that, you know, I mean, we've been talking about world building a whole lot, so it's, it's partially that, but I, like, I just can't believe we're answering my weird niche question about <laughs> interspecies <laughs> sex, like. <laughs> and all from a shonen manga. Yeah. Yeah, this
3: reads as a seinen a lot of times.
2: Don't ever let anybody tell you that comic books are not educational. This is my <laughs> this is my PSA for this episode.
1: Yeah, I mean it's awesome that there this is being published in a shown in mag- accessible magazine for uh younger readers just because the topics they explorers are really mature and thought provoking and very pertinent for teens, especially. Uh especially like, not only uh, in exploring its themes of discrimination, but these uh, sexual themes and, like, dealing with sexuality. Like, uh, the chapter where Logoshi attacks Haru, that's, uh, like, t- it's about him giving into his primal instincts, so, like, his instinct as a carnivore, but I, you can also read it as, like, a metaphor for him, like, giving into sexual urges that he's repressed as well. So, I really appreciate the Itagaki's ability to weave very complex multi-purpose and layered metaphors and like how she describes the instincts or natures of animals and how they uh they get uh represented and expressed
2: this is maybe a little simplified but i kind of wonder if some of this some of her ability to create this drama and these complex conversations about sexuality have to do with being a woman um I think I think like high school drama, um, in Shoujo series can can get here, can get to this point where we're we're having com like hard conversations about sex and sexuality and um so it's really fascinating to me that this work is in a Shonen magazine in some ways because I don't see that demographic as being as interested in those kinds of stories. Obviously it's not black and white and I don't know what her background is in terms of what she's read and what she enjoys reading. Um, for manga, obviously she enjoys some shonen stuff. Um, I assume she likes some of her, uh, her dad's work, <laughs> I would think. Um, but I, but I find it really fascinating that, uh, you know, I, I often, when I read works by women that are written for a male demographic and especially a young male demographic, I see a lot of depth and, in, in these kinds of concerns, um, in interpersonal relationships, in sexual relationships, in sexuality. Um, that, that I don't see in, you know, kind of the big name action shonen series, which doesn't mean they're not there. Um, it's just not what I've, I've read. Uh, so I'm kind of, I kind of wonder where that impetus comes from. And yeah, and it's surprising that it's succeeding in a shonen magazine. Um, maybe it just proves that boys do like reading about this kind of thing too.
1: I think so. I think it definitely depends on the the author. I definitely have seen more women authors be able to explore these themes thoughtfully and articulately, uh, especially in the relationship, the sexual desires of women. You don't see many male authors, especially in shonen Magazine, be able to express that well. But you have shonen manga written by women like B Stars and O oh Maidens by Mario Okada that are very mu- that very much take a very thoughtful and uh, nuanced exploration of the sexuality of both its female and male characters and they was run in magazines and i think that's a good thing to introduce you know a broad set of readers to different perspectives and considerations of like the spectrum of sexuality and how that's expressed
2: i wonder if it's just that you know female creators or or, or you know being raised as a girl and as a woman um kind of gives you a perspective on these things that uh, maybe, you know, the typical male author doesn't have um not and which is not to I don't wanna make it sound like I'm saying women are better at certain things than men or vice versa. I think you're right, it depends on the author. It depends on who's writing it. But I'm fascinated by this um you know, what I've what I've noticed um see what I've seen coming out of women creators when they're writing even for boys.
3: You mentioned Haru and like the the troubles that she has. Like it was really refreshing to me when haro's struggle wasn't that people thought that she was a slut but she wasn't that that's usually how these stories go like oh that's those are just rumors about me you don't really know me oh the real me is is, is really into just one guy and that's you i'm into you and now right. um <laughs> like her struggle was that all these boys want to fuck her she fucks them and then they fucking like start shaming her for it because they feel small, or 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 because they're shitty, they're like the shit men. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, because they they feel threatened, right? Because she's not just theirs. You know, she owns her sexuality and uses it in a way that she wants to, and that's threatening.
3: And she she's very small. And she's very cute. So like they instantly put her on a pedestal of like purity and like oh man, like this is how girls need to be, right? But you know, she's just a person.
1: Yeah, you have that disgusting moment in like the second volume where the male hurricane rabbit is like gloating about how he had sex with her. And then like after the gazelle guy reveals that, you know, he's also had sex or he, he he takes a complete 180 and he calls himself like a, a victim that he was the one being used, even though in the previous one, we, she had told like Mizuchi straight out that he was the one who made a move on her And, you know, was after her. So it's like this completely unfair and sexist double standard. But I really appreciate like the... That Haru is like uh she sexually after she enjoys sex, but she also has to deal with all this bullshit of like how other people perceive her just because once they realize that she can't be fit into the box that she they put her in and they feel and they can't control like their image of her, like then they feel tread in, so they ostracize her and demonize her.
2: I love how casual she is about it too. Like she's like, "Oh yeah, let's Oh, is that what you want? Okay, sure." <laughs> like that's fine. I'm I'm down. Whatever. Um she's very, you know, she's not ashamed. Um she she doesn't like the, you know, that people are talking about her or that people are ostracizing her, but she's not ashamed of who she is, which is really surprising uh, as a- as a like story beat. Like you'd think like a- yeah, like you were saying Darfox like Oh no, I'm I only like one guy, you know whatever. I'm not actually, you know, a slut, etc. But I like that she's like, yeah, so what? I don't care. <laughs> Do what
3: I want. The scene where she starts undressing in front of Legoshi and Legoshi does not know how to fucking handle it is just like really really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you you don't see you know as you read the manga you see a lot of Legoshi you you really um become very familiar with Legoshi and and you, you see a lot of his struggles and you see kind of his lighter side his darker side um but like seeing him just completely flabbergasted and just like <laughs> taken aback like that was the first time you ever see Legoshi like really lose composure like that and it was just it was like really really funny.
2: He's got great expressions.
3: Yeah, this is adorable.
2: <laughs> um, I want to say, too, it's interesting that Haru, um, you know, being so sexually promiscuous, is kind of giving in to her nature in a way that Legoshi's not allowed to. Because, again, she's a rabbit and, you know, everybody knows rabbits have a lot of sex because they have a lot of kids and whatever. Um, So I think it's really interesting. She's almost being set up as like a, a foil in a way where she can give in to this. I mean, it's not acceptable to her peers, but she has decided to give in to her nature. And Legoshi is constantly fighting against his all the time. And if he were to not fight against it, the outcome would be so much more tragic. Yeah, I
1: think that feeds back into the fact that th- the different animals have different privileges in terms of how they can in- express themselves. Because for the case of Legoshi, he can't really give in to his instincts as he does. Like, there will be violent co- consequences. And then for, like, different animals, they have different, like... They have different strengths that they can make use of in society, but they also have things that they have to keep hidden away from society. And everyone seems to have something like that, where there's something they can be proud of that they can display openly, but then there's also something that they have to keep hidden away in order to
3: conform and fit in with the crowd. The best example of that, um, minor spoilers, you eventually meet the mayor of the city, and he is um, a lion, very similar to Zootopia, like the mayor yeah. was a lion. Um, but again, like Beastars is quite a bit more dark, where like, to be electable, he had like, cosmetic surgery to soften his face, so it wouldn't have a certain telltale, like, um, predatory um, features. And he filed down like his teeth, so he looks like he had like molars. I also shaved down his muscles, his thigh muscles, so they're not as muscular. He, he essentially kind of like mutilated himself a little bit to be the, the, the leader to, to like everybody because like, you know, his, his strength and his leadership is coveted, but his kind of predatory nature, um, all of him is is kind of feared and that's like one of the most fucked up things that like I read in B Stars was just like um how he very naturally like like he got into politics so he must have known that was gonna be an issue. You know, like it's, it's almost like a foregone conclusion. If you're gonna get into politics and you're a predator, this is this is some of the stuff you do. Like you're playing the game, you're trying to get elected. You know, it's 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 really it's really wild.
2: And that's an interesting allegory for, you know, how certain professions in the human world work too. Like if you if you know you're going into a certain you know, career, there are things you have to do to appear a certain way. Um, I mean, the obvious careers to, to think about are like actor or model or singer. Um, but I think even politicians due to a certain amount have to really structure their image, maybe not, you know, undergoing lots and lots of plastic surgery, but it's an interesting allegory to how we are made to conform uh, or or made to look a certain way or be a certain way so that people can accept, you know, that we are, A good person or an electable person or uh, an attractive person.
3: Or, you know, one of the things I thought of when I read that was um, Colin Kaepernick. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, all these black athletes are, they're fine when they're, you know, running the ball, when when, when they're performing and and they're, they're, you know, they're scoring the points for the team but when they quote-unquote let their blackness out and they you know disagree with what the majority of the audience might uh, agree with um then they're demonized and then they're like kicked out and whatever you know like um there's a lot of that in our own society of just like um certain aspects of like black culture is coveted and popular but actual black people are left on the wayside or exploited or not given like not not celebrated
2: or you're supposed you're expected to work within a certain um you know like like when actors have political opinions or something and people will be like just stick to acting like don't don't get into politics and it's like that's not how people work everybody has you know everybody's deeper than that they have more opinions than that they have more um you know going for them than just their career but we can't we want to compartmentalize people so we like again we like it when you know the black athlete plays the game because that's what black people are good at right they're good at playing football we don't want to think about them in politics we don't want to think about them having opinions because that's threatening um but yeah yeah, and I,
3: and I, I, you know, I seriously doubt Paolo DiGatti wrote that character with Colin Kaepernick in mind no. or whatever. But like that, that, that is one of the reasons why you know a story like this can be really good and, and really impactful. Because like that's where my mind went, and that's where I found like my truth for for that scene and for that character. And 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 there is a lot of that in Beastars stars where like so, so much of it like rings true to me, um, with my experiences and things that I observed. Um, it's and I, I think other people see other things that I that I don't. Mm-hmm it allows um more interpretation for certain of the for certain situations
1: yeah there's so much examples of discrimination people face daily so a series like b stars does a really good job of like using uh metaphor as a means to kind of highlight stuff that in reality we might not have really thought about because some things we see as acceptable or inevitable but then it can make you think of things in a whole nutter light and re- and kind of kind of peel back the layers of like why are the way things are and why do people have this reaction uh sociologically that they do uh, what is at the root of that and then how can we work to improve ourselves as a community and then be more accepting and understanding of other people and promote,
3: like, social progress? This is kind of a a side thing, but, like, um, we mentioned how, like, the carnivores and the rewards are very different and the carnivore um, can very easily accidentally hurt in a reward. But we didn't kind of touch about upon, like, the senses that a carnivore might have and how like easily it is for them to like evaluate somebody and see if they're in trouble and of course that's coming from like their like predator instincts to see if if a prey is vulnerable or not and see you know which one of these am i more likely to catch in a herd and stuff like that but like in society it, it can be used for like you know to help people or to save people you know when when they aren't using it to like hunt people and in i think in the first volume it shows legoshi like he instantly sizes up the opponent which is like a jackal i think He's like, like the his his claw length is way bigger. He, you know, he's way heavier. His jaw strength is way bigger. Like, basically, the, this jackal doesn't stand a fucking chance. Like, <laughs> took a, he took a look at him and he was like, you know, this jackal's like, he ain't he ain't, he ain't nothing. Um, but of course, you know, because the Lemnos society and also because Legoshi has a specific personality. You know he he was gonna like drop the fight or or he was gonna f- f- fake losing because the jacko because of the the jacko's personality he like the jacko didn't have the personality to actually size up Legosi and realize he didn't have a chance the jacko was just gonna fight him because you know he the jacko's of the he's of the percent that he wasn't thinking of that stuff
4: and even in that scene there's that connects to um Lewis who comes in and saves uh Legosi from that situation. But it also highlights how Lewis looks down on Lagosi for what he did.
2: Yeah, like you're you're a predator, and you should you know you should be proud of being a predator. And it's almost like uh, Lewis or or Louis. I can never, I can never decide how I pronounce his name. Um, he he kind of almost not that he wants to be a predator, but he wants to be like on equal footing with predators. And he's so critical of Legoshi for being gentle and and not wanting to fight and and acting you know not like a predator um and it's an interesting you know legoshi's an interesting character because he's almost um i mean i think a lot of the a lot of the the theme here is this kind of idea of nature versus i mean we'll call nature versus nurture for lack of a better phrase but it's like you know legoshi's nature is both that he's a wolf and that he's kind of a gentle person and gentle personality um, but how much of that gentle personality is innate and how much of that is because of his upbringing do we do we get his upbringing is this something that's wait come for up? it <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> everything
4: I'm, from Lugosi's background to why Louis is the way that he is I'm going to just use Louis because that's how it's used in Japanese but everything gets explained like Paru Itagaki does not skimp over details. There's a reason why everything is presented the way it is. And every time you get to one of those reveals, it's such a giant plot bomb. And eventually you just reach the point where like every other chapter has all these great plot bombs that just keep the series going and going and going.
2: I just, I mean, every question I have is getting answered I can't, like, fathom that.
1: (laughs) And there's so much good foreshadowing, too. Like, in terms of Louis' situation, uh, there's, like, a telling line of dialogue when he's, like, collapsing the floor because of painkillers and stuff and he's, like, lamenting the fragility of the body and he's like, things to himself, like, his body wasn't designed to do such strenuous activity, and he kind of has this thought to himself that he he was built as, like, food for carnivores capture and and I know, uh, from listening to the manga, from, uh, your podcast before, I know some spoilers of, like, Louis origins, but, like, that's just kind of a, a nice seed of, like, the resentment he has towards large carnivores like Legoshi, and why he's so frustrated that Legoshi doesn't act in the way that he Keeper. He thinks carnivores, large carnivores, sh- should and would act, and also why he is so determined to prove himself as a strong person, as a leader, as someone who can take that honor of being the next B star and be like a huge figure in society because of because he has his complex that he he does not want to be weak. He wants to go against go against like what is. Uh, origins upbringing are and then fight back against a society that originally wanted him to be one thing but he wants to make his own way and become like a leader in this world and prove to himself that he can be strong as any carnivore or any other animal
0: mm-hmm. a- as excited as i am to uh, to find out more about uh louis and uh, Lagoshi, um i'm really wondering if um i'm wondering if the story will ever come back around to who exactly murdered tem in the beginning it does okay cool i was gonna
3: say (laughs) there is um basically like an art that almost becomes like a whodunit like a a high school whodunit because it almost feels like a one of those cw shows or whatever (laughs) um (laughs) um, but but yeah like it, it, it really um and it's wild because um and i'm not advocating people to like go back and and reread the book to find clues or anything but like like you mentioned how like there's foreshadowing there's a lot of foreshadowing to to that stuff even in like the first volume when, when i reread the first volume when it was released by this um i was like
2: what <laughs> they were
3: already sitting they were already seeding like so many like big bombs and i'm wondering if she was actually seeding it or if he just like went back and reread it and said hey i could reuse this line or i could reuse like this character i drew in the background or and and, and stuff like that um that that that, it just makes the plot feel super cohesive and 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 very um very mind-blowing that's awesome
2: when i first read the first volume i was like oh this is like a high school drama and a murder mystery like i was and and the second volume didn't really touch the murder mystery aspect at all and i was like hmm what's happening here (laughs) i'm
3: guessing but like i think that's gonna be like volume 10 ish is that right
4: yeah, volume ten is when they really get into it, but like I would say around volume eight, nine, so they they get back to the Tim was murdered plot. Oh, we're gonna have to wait a year.
2: Okay, because I'm curious about it. Because up until this point, it's kind of been a um, like a a plot device to show how like how people are kind of suspicious of Nagoshi, and then also how Lagoshi is really quite gentle. Like he makes an effort to make sure he tells the girl that Tim liked that he liked her you know like he like goes out of his way to do kind things and that was kind of all we had up until that point and there's still like kind of the specter of this murder like we know this happened and like i'm sure tensions are pretty high but like there's already this othering of of carnivores and versus herbivores that, that already exists this just kind of emphasized that mm-hmm.
0: yeah i was wondering if um because at first i thought like oh i wonder if this kind of thing happens a lot but but as i read on it really seemed like this was something i mean th- this is something that's against the law of their world like you know carnivores are not allowed to go after other animals like they like they go out of their way to like to show you that like oh well basically carnivores eat like uh i don't know what you want to call it like uh faux faux meat or whatever in like the cafeteria and whatnot and
2: beyond burgers
0: basically yeah and and they got
2: their own
3: impossible
1: burger yay (laughs) it tastes just like the whopper you guys
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it and it just made me think like okay well clearly this doesn't happen a lot or at least very rarely so like i wasn't sure if this was something they were going to come back around to but like i'm 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 glad to hear that this is going to get touched on again so
3: yeah, they, they do a pretty good job of establishing how eating meat is, uh, pretty heinous and eating or murdering for, 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 for the, for the act to eat their meat, to eat their body is, is one of like the most heinous things you could do in this world. I guess it's pretty heinous in our world as well. If you eat, to murder, <laughs> someone to people. eat them. It, yeah. It's, it's, kind of, yeah. It's terrible all around, but, but yeah, like because of the specific stigmas, you know, it's, it's not like cannibalism is an impulse of most of us, but, it, it, you know, eating me is an impulse for um like half the population. I I is it half? I don't actually know if they've covered the demographics. Um, but I assume there was half. Maybe that's not true at all. Um, but like you know, it's it's the world they live in, and it's it's very much you could almost say it's contrived. You know, it's very much contrived to to like create this utopia that um Morgana was talking about. And that's where some of the conflicts come in, they're like the contrivances, they're, like our world, you know people fall through the cracks, you know, like um all our, our systems aren't perfect it, um and sometimes they're made imperfect by you know bad actors in in politics or whatever.
2: It's also interesting in 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 our world in in the real world, carnivores exist partially to mitigate uh herbivore populations, right, so for a while, gray wolves were endangered here in the United States. And, um, you know, there were efforts made to kind of, um, boost the, the popu- the wolf population and then re release wolves into Yosemite National Park because the park was being taken over by deer. There were too many deer and they were destroying, uh, you know, the, the natural landscape. So carnivores existing as a way to balance, you know, the natural ecosystem in our world. Um, so it's interesting to have this world that's just animals. And that's not a, you know, it, it makes it so that like, I wonder, you were talking about demographics, Darfox, which is why I, I thought of this, like, are there a lot more herbivores than there would normally be because nobody's hunting them? Like, how does the, you know, like, is there, are there enough resources for all these herbivores? Like, everybody's eating plant material. How, how does that, um, you know, how does agriculture function? How does, you know, this world operate when there's no, there's no control?
3: The one um, meat that is not taboo to eat is insects. So, so, so insects is also a source of food. Um, it's not considered meat. I I think the anteater was in their herbivore dorms.
1: Yeah, and he was drinking an ant shake, or promises go, she will buy him an ant
3: shake.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, are there fish people?
4: Hmm. Yes. Wait oh. for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I don't want to give spoilers, but... It does explore the world of like the ocean society, and that is separate from land creatures. See that—that's exciting. And they they, yeah. they actually operate on a totally different type of philosophy. Interesting. And that's all I'll say about that.
2: Yeah, because well, because I was thinking about like um, vegetarianism, you know, in our in our world, and some people don't really consider fish to be the same as meat. You know, some people eat fish and don't eat you know chicken and beef and pork. Um, so, just kind of curious how fish fell on that scale i hadn 't seen any fish people yet,
1: yeah, it's like an animal land. animal land is also a series where you have these different groups of animals who uh, are trying to coexist, including you know carnivores and herbivores, and their solution is like well we well the the carnivores can only eat fish in this uh village, and they don't have to prey upon the uh the other animals. But then, of course, the conflict comes in that uh, the main character has his existential crisis. Oh, what if I suddenly learned I could talk to fish? Would I be able to eat them? And then, so, that that motivates the entire plot from there. But, yeah, it's, it's very interesting uh, in Beastars that, like, only... It's like insects are, like, the only animal that aren't considered... Well, I guess in the case of Beastars were animals because, I guess, they can't communicate with them. But if suddenly there were like insect people, like, would they, what would they do then? What, what, like, the carnivores really would just have to rely only on, uh, plant based things, but like, would they be able to do that? And that'd be a fascinating topic, uh, to explore.
3: I don't know if the series would, but. What's, what's interesting is Legoshi's kind of relationship with insects. He he actually has like a pretty deep connection with with insects. So, um, he he's a, a little bit more complicated. I I guess that's true for most things about Legoshi, but um, h- him and, and insects is is a little more complicated than most of his peers. You know, you know, they, they don't care like they they just eat whatever.
2: It's really interesting how mindful he is when he's supposed to be like by nature the one of the least mindful animals. But yeah, I'm really curious to see like a an ant person or like a mosquito person. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm really I'm really interested in seeing if uh, if they if they happen to if they happen upon this magical creature known as a human, (laughs) and then they just start eating humans. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that
3: would be such a a nightmare reveal.
0: Uh,
2: All all your fake burgers have been made out of man meat. The
0: the world of Beastars takes place in a post apocalyptic world where humans died out and animals became uh, uh, started reigning supreme
2: hey you know what they can have me i don't yeah. i'm not Whatever. <laughs> wolves inherit the earth there was
4: an old web comic called jack that was that's exactly what that was oh wow
3: <laughs> i think yeah.
4: the premise like was that uh people made anthropomorphized animals as playthings through like genetic cloning and then eventually they fought for their own rights and then they destroyed humanity and took it over
2: It's like the singularity, but with animal people instead of robots, I don't know, I think I might prefer the animal people. I think I'm okay <laughs> well it's like um it's like the island of Dr. Moreau, like he created all these human animal hybrids, and then they killed him and destroyed the island i mean I'm here for it let let you know i when I die, I just want to like rot and let my body go into the earth so i'm <laughs> I'm pretty into the idea of like letting the animals pick me apart when I'm gone. <laughs>
0: Instead of donating my body to science, I'll just donate it to the animal people.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for it. It's fine. I'm not using the body anymore after that point.
1: That is a really fascinating subject. It's like, how did these animal characters, how did they become like human-like in form? Like all sorts of different animals too. Like what was the evolutionary process for them
3: like? I think that's like something I'd be interested in seeing this the series explore they um re- they don't reference that as far as i know but they reference like a whole history um in their world it's not it's not just like again it's not just human with fur so it's not like kangaroo hitler like you know it tried to take over the world or whatever it's it's they have their own <laughs> world and their own wars so so there is like racial tension and 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 like tensions from like past wars and stuff mm. so so um they get into not necessarily like the the genetics or or the the biology of of how they were created but kind of how the society came to be mm-hmm.
1: and i believe i remember you guys uh once mentioned that uh they explore like how dogs were like bred from wolves in the
3: world of beast stars so. yes dogs were literally created in in this world but by, by like the society like, they, they're, I mean, they're, they're, right. But, like, it's not like, hu- <laughs> it wasn't humans doing it. It was other animals doing it. So. Right, right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Either
2: way, it's kind of messed up. Yeah, it's but... some
3: weird eugenics.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah What's wow, brought I d- up
4: in this really kind of touching backstory between Lugoshi and his best friend, Jack?
2: Oh, yeah. I remember Jack in the beginning. Yeah, because, like, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, yeah, dogs are not, um, I don't want to say they're not natural, but they 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 kind of developed because of their interactions with humans. That's really interesting.
3: And we we talked about like animals that are um, kind of against their nature. Jack is like a character that is totally just a a dog. Like and and, and like he, <laughs> he is really the best friend. He he is like yeah, such a good guy. Um, and you're gonna see a lot more of Jack that he he worries so much for Legosi. Um, because you know. He- I, yeah, go
2: ahead. Say, isn't he like a golden retriever too? He's like yeah. the. Yes. He's like the dog.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and, and um, I, I think that there have been comments in like the the first volume or or, or the first two volumes where, where like they say something about him where he's like the Jacks always has to be so affable and and so like communicative to everybody, you know. <laughs> like they get annoyed, but by how <laughs> nice he is to everybody, because he's such a ni- he's such a good boy. He's
0: kind of like um, he's kind of like Mister Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Is there a, um, I haven't seen any domesticated type cat people, just like big cats.
3: No, yeah. I w- we've only seen, like, yeah, big cats, like tigers and lions.
2: Yeah, because I'm interested. I'm curious about that, too, because, I mean, we call them domestic cats. They're not super domestic. Um, <laughs> they've just kind of wandered into homes. Um, and, and that's an interesting, um, specific personality type too you know like the dog is very friendly and happy and affable uh and a cat i think it has a certain there's a certain idea about how cats act um that i'd like to see in this world that's like kind of partway between being you know a tiger and then partway between being like you know a pet somebody who you know a, a creature who is like Dependent on others and wants to be around others, but doesn't really want anybody to know they want to be around (laughs) others. Because that's that's my cats. Cats are the ultimate Cinderace, right?
0: I mean, pretty much, yeah.
1: (laughs) But Jack is also an interesting character to me because of all the carnivore characters we see, herbivore characters seem to to trust him the most. Like in the beginning of the first chapter. You know, when there's, like, tension between the herbivore students and carnivore students. Like, uh, one of the herbivore students gives the Thames notebook to, to Jack and entrusts him to deliver it to Legosi. And then we see later on him interact with a another student and go into the dorm. And, like, he's also discriminating against and saying, like, why is a carnivore in the dorm? But there seems to be, like, this sense that Jack is seen, like, as a less dangerous carnivore than Lagoshi' because he's told to his race that he shouldn't hang out with uh, wolves because uh, even though they're kind car- can- can- of they you know they're they're just types he shouldn't be hanging out with and so there's, there's there's like other even more specific like forms of discrimination uh even between like similar
3: groups of animal people that i find very interesting you just touched upon, like, one of the early moments in Beastars that really made me fall in love with it. It's one of the moments that, like, broke my heart, and also just, like, you know, made me fall in love with it, because it's, it's so... You know, like, I I can relate to that so much. When when the anteater tells him, you know, hey, be careful about your friends, and then Jack takes a look at, at the guy who just accosted him, and he's, like, right back at you. You know, like, you're, you're the one who has, like, the the, the shitty racist friend. Um like this, this, this idea of being the good one of of uh, you know like oh well yeah and I, and I, I, I know you're black or I know you're Hispanic but you know, I'm not talking about you I'm talking about like the, you know like the other ones you know the ones that right. are just like so wild and like I've had those conversations I, I've I've been there you know that's why it, it, sometimes it really surprises me I wonder if uh, Paraguay is just like punking us and turns out she lives in America or something right <laughs> I know but but like the way carnivores act when errors are around and ones are not around is 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 very specific. Um, you, people have talked about like you know like um, coding, like yeah. language coding. Um, you know, every language depending on whether they talk to the parents or talk to the friends or if during the, the job interview, um, you have different ways of speaking. But you also have, like, just different ways of speaking, whether or not, you know, like, maybe your white friends are around and your black friends are around. And the way this story represents it, um, I think in another story we're presented as duplicitous. As, like, oh, look at these carnivores changes their their attitude. Now, see, they're two-faced. But Beastars doesn't do that. It doesn't represent them as two-faced. It just, like, the, that's how it is. This is the world they live in. It, to a certain extent, like, they can only relax around when other carnivores are with them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are complicated, and they have to present different sides
1: of themselves to different groups of people, just based on what is expected of them socially in those situations. And so it's all about like presentability politics within society, especially uh, when applied to like, people of color minorities, you're expected to act a different, you're allowed to act a different way when you're with your own with your family or friend or friends of same race than like with maybe you're allowed to act in public
2: it's really interesting to you know talking about jack as like a you know the safe carnivore um and like yeah like dogs eat meat and it's healthiest for dogs to have that kind of protein in, in their diet um there are a lot of people who get really angry when Uh, vegans don't feed their dogs meat, feed them vegan diets. Don't, don't do that. It's not good for your dog. But, uh, dogs can eat other things and they do eat other things. They eat vegetables. They eat, you know, uh, you know, dog food will often have other ingredients in it. Um, and dogs will kind of eat anything. (laughs) Is the other really? Um, Uh, so it's like an interesting, um, you know, he's safe because his nature isn't so, um, so forceful even you know like it's it's not so um you know
0: he's not intimidating
2: yeah like it's not it's not a huge part of what makes him run like he kind of yeah he's i mean he's wolf light you know like it's so funny i get so like amused when people talk about their dogs as like you know my, my my wolf or whatever. I'm like, honey, your dog's an idiot. Like <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like like a beautiful idiot. But like. This is not this. This animal could not survive out in the world because, like, not
3: a cunning it, bone in the body. No,
2: not at all. They're so trusting, you know. They're so, you know, it, for the most part. Obviously, I, I'm sure there's some dogs who would fare better than others. But you know, you know, Jack is that kind of character type and that kind of that kind of stereotype of the golden retriever, kind of like the perfect dog, right? The perfect family dog, who's like easygoing and like likes to explore and likes other animals and is kind of curious, you know? It's, yeah. It is a really interesting it's interesting from that that perspective that Darfox was talking about this this concept of like being the good one in the group or like you know um being not as as threatening as as his peers um but it's also interesting kind of from a physiological like animal perspective like he really is like less it is way less intimidating to be approached by a golden retriever than a full grown wolf <laughs>
3: I, I think um the, the first volume has so much, you know, like a lot of this podcast we've been talking about, like oh, just wait, just wait, it's gonna get fucking mind blowing. Um, <laughs> but, like I, 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 I think we really need to reemphasize how the first volume and the second volume, but the first volume is it's just so good. It's, it has so, so many fantastic moments. Like, it really does hook you from the beginning. And there is the moment where I think most people realize that, like, Legoshi is, like, a really good character and they just, they they just really want to see what's up with him is when he's having that conversation with Jack and, and Legoshi's giving him, the synopsis for the play, the the Adler play, he's gonna do, and it's it's a big tragedy about Death is he comes to take the life of a girl, but then the girl tricks him, and then they go on an adventure. Death falls in love with the girl, and they both die at the end, both the girl and Death. So just big like um you know th- um theatrical tragedy, and Jack is like, did did you like that story? Like that, that sounds like a real bummer. And and Lagoshi kind of just looks up. It's like a two panel sequence where you see him look up at Jack, and he's looking at you, you know, through the pages, and he says. I like tragedies.
2: I love that. that <laughs> those panels.
3: Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of rare when you very early on in a manga series, you get the sense that the author knows what they're doing. You know, like, I think usually when I'm reading a manga series that's just started, I'm like trying to figure out what the hook is or I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I like about it or if I'm going to keep reading it. Mm-hmm. But like Beastars gave me the impression that like, oh, this is already set up. Like this is already mm-hmm. done and 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 now we just got kind of have to go through the emotions of it being drawn and me having to like you know buy and read it like um it's it's almost like predestination or something in <laughs> manga form but but like um the way i read that and it really made me wonder about the story like it, you know it, is that the author speaking to us and giving us expectations about the story not ending well is this going to be a tragedy um I, I don't know if she's interested in doing those type of hints and stuff, but like,
0: is Legoshi gonna die? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like I I definitely thought, thought of that stuff, but
2: well, it kind of started as a tragedy.
3: Yeah. It, yeah, it, it like... definitely did.
2: <laughs> um, I'm also, I, I got really tickled when I got to the end. Cause in the, in the English translation, um, Legoshi's name is Legoshi, but he's named after Bela Lugosi, the actor who portrayed dracula um back in the 1930s and i was like that's such a like cute little like thing that she put in there that's like kind of tells her where she's coming from with his character you know like i mean and i learned a lot about bela lugosi recently and how like kind of tragic his personal life was um So it's an interesting I don't know how much she knows about him or if she just chose that name because it sounded cool. And it had kind of a like an implication to it. But um, yeah, I, I loved that little that little tidbit the back when she's like, Oh, yeah, this is where I got his name. Yeah,
1: I'm curious to see how deep that inspiration runs, whether it's like based on the performances that Legoshi was known uh for performing like Dracula, perhaps the the idea of someone who transforms or reveals his his true self uh behind closed doors in the dark of night or like whether a writer is based on the personal life of legosi and his own tragedies and struggles with dealing with you know addictions and his vices and that kind of that lifelong battle against him so either or, or both i think it's a very fascinating like uh inspiration to base the K- Legoshi off of because that's kind of what his struggle is his struggle is like dealing with kind of what his true nature is in dealing with, you know, he has this gentle personality, but he has these violent instincts and the conflict is him learning just to understand himself and to I how to define himself. And I like in the second uh volume we kinda have Flegosi like think to himself like all the different labels that people describe him as and then just kind of embrace them for a moment there and his tail starts to wag and I thought that was a really fascinating moment and I'm really curious to see like how Lugosi continues to uh redefine himself and develop from there
0: uh but man uh Beastars is good huh it's great right? <laughs> I think I think
3: it's
1: pretty good I am uh so excited to continue following the series. You guys have been, like, screaming its praises for, like, uh, years now. And now I... Finally, I'm so excited to finally read it. And uh, knowing some of the stuff that's coming up, I'm excited to read that for myself, especially in Volume 3 coming up, where they're going to do the black market. I am looking forward to seeing how that stuff goes down.
2: Yeah, I have an advanced copy of Volume 3 waiting for me on my tablet. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I just want to give Viz props for like all the really amazing titles they've brought out this year between this, Comey Can't Communicate and uh Way of the House Husband, which I haven't read oh, yet, but I've heard really good it's things. So
1: good. good stuff. I'm,
2: yeah, super funny. It's really great. I just wrote, um, and will post this week a review for Comics Beat of Way of the House Husband, and I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Uh it's it's everything you want it to be. It's exactly what you expect and it's perfect. It is adorable. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so so far, like, out of all the new stuff that I've read from Viz this year, like, this is probably my favorite new release from them.
1: Mm-hmm. Wholeheartedly agree. I was, like, super blown away by the first
0: volume. Like, I, I had heard about Beastars, you know, before it was picked up in English, and, like, I knew people liked it a lot. You know, especially in, and and I, I heard about all the awards it's, uh, awards it's won too, and like like I I knew it was gonna be good, but like I wasn't expecting it to be this good. <laughs> I guess if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, when it was when it was announced, I think I tagged. Uh, this was before I was a host of Manga Machinations, and I tagged Manga Machinations. I tagged uh, DakaZu and DarFox and and Seamus also, and I was like, you guys, <laughs> it's here <laughs> now. I can read it too. Cause I hadn't listened to any of those episodes because I was like, well, they're going to talk about it, and I want to read it myself. Um, so I'm the I'm behind uh, from the rest of the, the manga Mac crew, but I'm slowly catching up, and I'm excited.
3: Yeah, we essentially stopped talking about it after a while, just just because c- c- we know, like, we wanted to like not spoil people on the official releases and stuff. So so it's like yeah. Um... In fact, you know this podcast actually was really, really good now because, like, because we have talked about B so much, we didn't really talk about it so much when it got released officially. It's weird. Like, you think that we'd be we'd do like a three hour like <laughs> podcast when it released officially, but we didn't because we already talked about it. So, like, this podcast is actually very helpful to like have an excuse to talk about it like holistically and also just like the first two volumes. Happy to help. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we definitely we... talked a lot. <laughs> The anime is coming out soon. That's true. Oh, yeah.
0: I- I'm, I'm interested in how that's going to turn out.
2: I'm curious. I'm very curious about the choices they made in the animation style. Yeah, I'm
3: cautiously optimistic. I don't usually like CG anime, but I'm, I'm okay with what they've shown in the trailers. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. The lighting color design is really good.
1: I, I like the mood it sets and environment character animation the the models look a little stiff and it seems a little janky but it's it still seems like the expressions are really well done so i'm looking forward to it i hope netflix doesn't sit on it for too long uh, yeah so, i
0: was yeah. i was just gonna say I, I i i can't wait to watch this next year on netflix
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah i know i know it's, it's supposed to start in october i think right yeah, yeah. pretty soon That's like next week, oh my god.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's, I mean, as glad as I am that, like, somebody picked it up, like, it is kind of a shame that Netflix has it, because that means it is, it is gonna be a bit before it comes out, which I, I think, I think if this were picked up for a simulcast, like, regardless of, like, the quality of animation, I, I feel like, I feel like the anime has potential to become, like, a, like a big hit, a real, a real seasonal hitter.
2: Yeah, I'm curious about how Netflix is if they're going to continue doing this with their anime releases, because I mean, I, I understand their reasons for putting out an entire season of a thing. It makes a certain amount of sense because I'm terrible at keeping up with things week to week. I'm absolutely the kind of person who sits down and watches a whole thing at once um, over the course of a few days. But I think that the anime watching community doesn't want that. They want to be able to access it as soon as possible.
3: I've always been the Netflix apologist. Um, n- not that I, I want to wait to watch a series. I just feel like the Netflix audience must be much bigger than the crunchier audience. That's um, fair. That's yeah. And, and I've always, it's it's kind of you know maybe it's a, it's a foolish hope because it's like you, you take it away from the audience that's definitely going to give us some love, and you put it to the audience that might not care about it. But it's a small possibility that it blows up. You know, that's kind of like my conflict with Netflix, where like, I feel like in Netflix, it has the potential to be even bigger than anywhere else, so I get kind of excited. But at the same time, like, you know, who knows if it gets surfaced by the catalog, it could be lost in the shuffle.
0: Yeah, that's a big possibility too.
3: There, it's it's a big complicated thing, and I I do wish Netflix. Um, I think I did hear them say that they're going to explore the weekly releases more. I hope they start doing that with with anime because that will solve most of people's issues.
0: I mean now that Disney Plus is doing the kind of thing where it's like an episode a week, like I'm I'm sure Netflix is probably going to maybe l- l- like look into the doing that kind of thing more often, I'm sure.
4: Well, they already do it in Japan and they also do it for things in Europe. Yeah. That's
1: also when true. Yeah. Evergarden
3: came out. That was on a weekly release, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very much an American kind of like thing like like th- their data must suggest that we like been watching but a lot of us say we don't
2: that makes sense to me i'm like that but
0: i'm i'm not so much a binge watcher so much as i i I generally just like getting the shows at my own pace
2: yeah that's that's really what it is I, i just can't keep up with like a weekly like i'm so behind on everything that i was watching because i'm just like oh is that still okay i guess i should catch up at some point
0: like, I am, I am definitely not... I'm, I am not the kind of guy who's going to watch an entire season of something in one sitting unless it's, like, something I'm already super really attached to, so...
4: Right, right. I think they said that they're going to do the British Bake Off on a weekly release.
2: Oh, hmm. interesting. Spoilers,
4: so, like, it might be changing. All right, we can only yeah.
2: hope, I, right. I definitely think for the, for the anime audience, it would make sense to to do simulcasts especially since that's the
1: culture of anime watching is like the weekly uh wa- it
2: is now anyway watch. yeah yeah <laughs> social media say. age <laughs> back in back in the, back in the old days when i mean i guess we watched we watched daily on like you know tsunami or whatever whatever was available um here in here in north america um but yeah it's definitely there's there's a huge demand for getting things as soon as they're available in japan and we've we've seen that with with manga and with, uh, with anime, which is a really interesting and strange, um, like, I don't know, impulse.
0: Just saying this because I I have to go here pretty soon, but, uh, is there, is there anything else that we, that we like really want to touch on before I think we start wrapping up here kind of soon?
3: Uh, one of the things I really, one of the reasons why I really wanted this series to get licensed was because, um, I felt like there's a lot of complex things that people can analyze and kind of pick apart. And I was very curious to see um criticisms, like harsh criticisms of B stars, people who maybe don't like B Stars. Um I honestly wanted to see that. And I haven't quite seen that yet, but I have seen people criticize the whole like um kind of rape narrative between like Legoshi and-, and Aharu where like um his 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 animal instincts um you could portray or or think of it as a boys will be boys kind of thing. Um it's it's natural to have these impulses. Um that's not the reading I had at all when I read it, but I've seen some people um, write like a pretty good breakdown of, of why that might be toxic. So I'm, I'm curious to see more stuff of that stuff that like, I really didn't think about. Um, that's one of the, like the the, the benefits when something gets licensed, um, you don't just have, you know, you know, shit posters on Reddit talking about it. You have actual writers and people who can analyze, analyze things and, Right actual criticism about it so i'm I'm really curious to see um where b goes with that if 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 there's um you know i guess a, a contention of people who dislike it you know I might disagree with them, but I'll, I'll still be interested to to see what you're talking about
4: I wasn't aware of that rape narrative, but I mean if well, you I, keep I, I, reading I I, Beastars. Read one
3: I read one okay. that, said that
4: well if you keep reading like if you for volume one right like when he attacks you could take that, but as you keep reading and when you understand more about like carnivores want to actually eat people Uh, i mean herbivores i think that can be like kind of brushed aside
2: yeah i i can see the comparison there and i definitely felt very uncomfortable when that was happening and you know as as somebody who lives in a woman's body uh i can i can definitely and and at that point we didn't know much about haru right we just knew that she was being accused of being a slut um So I definitely, um, I can see that idea. Um, I also think though when I read it, it was much more, even though I was thinking about it kind of in terms of Lagoshi's sexuality, I was also thinking about it as an allegory to like these uncontrollable feelings that you have, not necessarily the action, right? Like it was almost an allegory of like, you have these feelings that you don't know how to deal with and they scare you and, you know, they scared him. Um, he didn't want to do that thing. And he didn't and he couldn't control himself in that circumstance, and it scared him um obviously it was a real physical action that happened. it was not just in his mind, but um if you're talking about it in terms of his sexuality or if you want to talk about it as like an allegory for that, I think it's much more nuanced than than a rape narrative than a straightforward rape narrative anyway um, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah
3: it, it was one of those things when I read the article I was like huh, there it is like there is like I totally see what they were t- writing about when once I read it. Absolutely, but like I I, I did it I didn't w- w- when I read it, and it was and it's so obvious now how somebody can inter- interpret that as as was. Um, but I look forward to that going forward in, in B Stars. Yeah, there's layers to the
1: metaphor, and there's definitely, uh, you always have to be considerate of like uh potentially problematic implications when you're writing. Stories about animals as metaphors for human beings and you're trying to address like very specific uh, topics and you're and especially when you have this idea in stories with animal characters where they're being motivated by instincts you don't want to say especially with behaviors that human beings can control and they they should not uh, be absolved of that th- these think kind of things are inevitable or they can't be controlled. So I'm very really curious to see uh, in the future how Stars may explore the metaphor of like his instincts as a sort of sexual, uh, the sexual implications of that. But also I am curious just on the the relationship between Legosi and Haru, like how, if Legosi ever admits to Haru like what he did and then how he deals with the fallout of that and like what his mindfulness will be. Uh, going forward, because definitely it scared him what he had done. So how, like him trying to fight back against doing that sort of thing again, and then like that uh, th- that struggle. I'm interested in seeing how if the how that is developed going forward, uh, if it is.
4: One thing I want to touch upon really briefly is something that we didn't talk about that much is the art for B stars. Um, B stars looks really really different from. Uh, What you would associate with, like, typical manga style.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
4: I mean, that's partially because you're drawing animals, and that's just not a common thing in uh, manga. But also, especially in Volume 1, Paru Itagaki uses a lot of um, unique and diverse techniques when it comes to using your screen tone. It's actually almost sloppy. Screen tone, of course, is like the shading that you use. And um, I know that Padri Tagaki is still one of the people that creates manga uh, analog. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she uh, she was actually complaining about the screen tone that she likes to use is going out of business.
2: I bet. Yeah.
4: Um, but if you look at the way that she like puts shading on Lagosi and all the other characters, it's almost sloppy. Like it it goes outside the boundaries of like where she draws the characters' lines. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it's really striking and different. And unfortunately, like after volume one, she kinda moves away from this style. She tightens it up. Yeah, if you if you uh read the first volume, I think a lot of people will be shocked to see how different Beastars looks.
2: Yeah, I was really struck by the artwork. Um you can I studied art, so I have a lot of feelings about ink. Um and you can tell that her marks are are physical ink. Um And I like them a lot. And I wasn't sure if the screen tone was as well, because that's less common these days. It's harder and harder to find screen tone. But yeah, she has this very, she's doing this excellent job of creating believable humanoid animals, but she's also got this really loose uh, style um, that's very relaxed. It is almost sloppy, especially in that first volume, but it's not unattractive, right? It it lends a lot of movement and it lends a lot of um, action to what's going on there's a lot of really intense moments where she knows exactly how to, you know, when to use more tone, more blacks, um, especially the f- the whole first bit where there's a murder happening, you know, it's very, um, it's very frantic, right? It's very sketchy. It's very dark. It's very, um, there's a lot of movement. Uh, and I think there's something really special about her artwork. Um, <laughs> we talked about this in, in the parasite episode we just did, uh, last week, two weeks ago. Um, I hate the term manga style. <laughs> I hate this concept that there's one manga style. <laughs> not not a fan um, of that either. No, I hate it. Um and and working in comics, uh, you know, working in retail made me hate it even more. But, you know, she really does break a lot of conventional rules about about comics artwork, you know, about, about manga artwork specifically. And it's fascinating. It does look very different from anything else on the market, and I I think it's an excellent quality to have you to make your work stand out.
4: There's a lot of fluidity to her inking and to her characters and how everything looks. Even like the backgrounds from the starry sky looks something like out of Debussy. But it's kind of the reason that I'm not putting a lot of faith in that anime. Of course, that was the biggest problem that I thought there would be when there was going to be an anime adaptation. Like, how do you recreate Padui Tagaki's artwork? It's almost impossible.
1: Yeah, the world looks too clean in the anime.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: It's lacking the grit of uh Itagaki's work and definitely like the line work, def- the be- the way that there's different weight uh in the lines at certain parts of like a character's body and the way that the lines are never the same for between characters from panel to panel. You de- uh, like Morgana was saying you can definitely tell this was drawn pen on paper because of that inconsistency because the line works aren't clean straight and stuff and that just isn't replicated in the anime where you have these very perfect cg models that are always solid all the time and especially with furry animals you can tell like they they're really solid shapes that don't feel like they're they're furry that they have these flowing hair that is like moving all over the place there's just none of that messiness in that in the world of the anime So that is definitely something lost.
4: I think Japanese animators just aren't as skilled as Western animators when it comes to animals. You can look at Zootopia, even that the animals look like nice and fuzzy. They look real. And that that really bad concept of wanting to take away frames. So it looks like 2D animation. It's like, I hate that. In 3D animation from Japan. Yeah, I noticed that in the trailer that there were frames missing be-
1: when characters are moving. Like, oh, it looks so yeah. bad, jank, really janky.
2: I think there's also a-, a natural problem when you're adapting artwork from an artist who's so distinct. Into, um, I mean, all manga are pretty distinct, but like, I had a real problem with the um, the Junji Ito collection that came out. Last year, two years ago, I loved Junji Ito's work. I don't think the, the anime was bad, but it's really, really hard to convey the same amount of depth and spookiness in, you know, full color artwork, in moving artwork, in artwork that's not full of all his texture, right? You know, Ito has this really incredible relationship with ink. Um, He, he does incredible things with texture that, that makes things stand out, and it's really hard to adapt that. I have higher hopes for the Uzumaki uh, adaptation that's supposed to come out. Oh
0: my god, Uzumaki looks so amazing so (laughs) far. It does
2: look good. It does look good. So, you know, it's not impossible, but there is definitely a challenge when you get to, you know, adapting an artist whose work is so distinct in, you know, especially when you're going from a traditional medium like ink, which is what Ito uses also, um, to animation, which relies on... Computers more and more these days. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's important to you know use the tools you have. But it, there's a, there's a, going to be a shift, right? There's going to be some some difference there, and it's going to kind of make the story different. It's gonna it's gonna change the mood.
3: Well, what, one good example of that is in one of the trailers, it shows um the Tem getting murdered scene, and it shows the assailant and you kind of see a very distinct silhouette. Mm-hmm. You don't know who it is, but in in the manga version you really can't tell who or what it is it's it's like this um inky blob of like um of unknowing aggression you know it's it's just you you just know that the assailant is is somebody that is out to do harm but in 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 the in the anime trailer it like I, i hope people don't start like freeze framing and like to trying to figure co- it out. Yeah, yeah, comparing silhouettes and shoulder lengths. Like, oh, this is this, this is a person. This has to be the person because um, it really isn't that kind of story. It really isn't uh, it's trying to you know set, set you up for a mystery in that in that sense. Uh, but I, I think that might be one of the things that's kind of lost in translation.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, yeah. In that first scene, it's like. It's it's almost like it's less that it's a character and more that it's this horrifying concept, right? Exactly, this, this yeah, a force. Yeah, um, although I did think when I read it that it looked like Legoshi, but it's really hard to tell.
3: The first chapter was definitely setting you up to, to think that Legoshi was, was the assailant. Yeah. Th- that That's definitely a bait and switch they're, they're trying to set up. We'll, we'll see how, how the, the anime handles it.
4: Well, luckily, Studio Orange is handling it, and they're a studio that's better at 3D animation than some studios. They did um, the Land of the Lustrous anime, and that was the first anime that I saw in 3D
0: that I thought was good. Mm, I've heard good things about it, yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, fingers crossed, but uh, Land of Lustrous had a lot of action scenes that were really well done. Beastars doesn't. It's a lot of static characters talking, so we'll see how much choppiness we get.
0: Yeah, B- B- Beastars seems like the kind of thing that would really benefit from like really particular like character animation. Yeah. It's a dying art
4: these days.
2: Yeah. as I mean, the more demand for media material, the harder it's going to be to get that kind of loving attention on everything that's coming out.
3: Yeah, I, I really do feel stars in general. Like, the manga, it's it's kind of unfilmable. Like, uh, unless it's like a really high-budget movie, like, I really don't think you could reproduce Poligaki's art in animation. So I don't fault them for just admitting that early on and going for the CG route. Um yeah. I just hope I just hope that it's it's well done.
2: I'm also I mean I have a huge bias. I'm almost always going to prefer a manga to an anime adaptation. Like not always always, but like in general. I mean I like I like animation. I respect it a lot. I think it's an excellent art form, but I just really like comic books. So I'm I'm naturally inclined to be like, well, I'll just stick with the manga. Uh,
0: yeah, same here. Yeah.
1: There's a certain uh pacing and presentation of comic books that can't be replicated in animation. So there are things like just the very first page of B Stars, where you just have four panels of Tem, like kind of shrinking away from his attacker. And then in the last panel, you see, like, just no ink lines. It's just pure brush strokes that make out the silhouette of Tem's attacker. And you can see the teeth and the and the claws, like, going down and chasing after. But it's not a defined form. Like, that, you just can't... Like, the way that the page is laid out and the pacing of these panels as Tem is turning away and then the final panel the way that is depicted, they can't do that the same way. Just linger on this one shot and then show the sequence of events that same way in animation. Uh, especially with the style that this is done in.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think it's surprising anybody that the host of manga machinations and manga <laughs> mavericks are like really rape- preferred yeah. <laughs> manga over um, animation. But, you know, uh, like, um, the, the dogs and I, we have a, a buddy named Kenzo. Who like he's repeatedly told us, like, oh, it's just it's just superior period animation because there's so much more you can do between the music and the voice acting. There's so much more to it that like it's just I don't I don't I don't remember if he said it's actually a superior form. I don't think he's he'll be silly enough to say that. But like he, he basically said you know, he has the opinion that like in animation it's almost always gonna be better. Um and I just disagree with that.
2: It's interesting. I think they're just very different, you know, they're different media and I mean, again, like there are some things where I'm gonna prefer the like. Cowboy Bebop is an anime. I don't really care to see it as a manga. The manga that did exist was not yeah, good. That's good point. <laughs> you know, like, but it, but it's essential to the story that it has sound. You know, it's essential to the story that it has that kind of movement. Um, that's not really you know. It's it's hard to write about music in a manga when you can't hear it. You know, it's a kind of a different. You know, Cowboy Bebop lends itself to animation, right? And and things like that. There are a lot of things like that. That there
4: are some decent music manga, I will say.
1: Oh yeah, they try. There are diff- different mediums have different strengths, and definitely in adaptation, like taking one pe- story from one medium to another, like there are definitely different considerations you have to make. And from manga to anime, that definitely involves like a lot of things you have to add and consider, like color and sound, in addition to animation itself. So. Like it is like a whole different ball game. You you can't do a straight adaptation from a manga. It has to be different. But then you, I think the goal uh, is to like be able to present that story the best way it possibly can within the the new medium it is
4: in. Someone should tell that to Hollywood.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> another thing I have a lot of opinions about. <laughs> Well, and I was just going to say, when I was working in comics retail, I would often get people who said they didn't read manga um, because it wasn't in color. Um, oh my god. Or it's backwards. Well, backwards I got a lot, but but col- the color <laughs> thing is really interesting to me because to me that said that they couldn't appreciate the things that manga can do in black and white. I think there's a lot of strength to black and white stuff that color doesn't have or doesn't necessarily have and I talk a lot about texture in you know I was talking about Junji Ito's use of texture I was talking about Paru Itagaki's use of texture I think that's something that he's done really well in manga that isn't always done as well like in superhero comics for example there's not a lot of like texture in terms of the ink most of the time you know in in most uh, mainstream superhero comics for example but you know it's an interesting thing to me that like we, we draw divisions between different media because of personal taste when it just means that we can't appreciate a thing, you know, in its own kind of... And, and, and as we're saying, adaptations are hard and they're always going to be different. An adaptation, like a movie adaptation of a book is going to be different than the book. Um, an anime adaptation of a manga is going to be different than the manga. You're not going to get a one-to-one. Um, and it's really about appreciating the individual thing for what it is. And if, and if it's that you don't like it, you don't like it. You know,
1: In a way, this ties back into stars and how different people have different strengths that can be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Bring it back full circle. <laughs> but, yeah, I, this was a fantastic conversation. Uh, we got a lot of conversation out of just the beginning of the series. I can't imagine how much more we'd have to go into if we were to discuss the entirety of Beastars and all the plot revelations, all the further explorations of Beastars as metaphors. And man, I'm super excited to continue reading more, but thank you guys so much for coming on the show to talk about the series with us and share uh, your insights. Like this was an incredibly informative and thoughtful discussion.
3: Yeah. Sorry for, uh, talking so much uh you, oh w- not what, at w- all
1: <laughs> dude this is a manga mavericks podcast if you know us you know that we're known for going on
3: forever. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> I, on, honestly i'm surprised that my raw recording is uh let me just check here real quick uh yeah ju- just about two hours i'm surprised we didn't go on an hour longer honestly
3: <laughs> yeah um turns out when you when you get like two podcasts that just gab on about manga you put them together and then you specifically talk about a manga that is like really good It just like bellows out Mm -hmm. it's a good thing Seamus wasn't
0: here
2: i know it'd be even longer (laughs) we'd have like a oh oh boy (laughs) yeah thank you for having us this is fun
0: yeah no problem we'll have to do it again sometime uh i guess uh before we uh before we uh, head out and uh, wrap up the show ourselves. Um, you know, we we want you guys to definitely let you know, uh, let the people know, like where where they could find you and, uh, and and to listen to the Manga Machinations podcast. I I only just started listening pretty recently, um, so I I basically uh, got on around the time Morgana started being on. But uh, from from what I listened to so far, um, I'm really enjoying what I'm what I've been listening to. Uh, so yeah, people should definitely go listen. So.
3: Yeah, th- th- thank you very much. And I also want to um extend a thank you to um to y'all, uh especially um um Lum who like is a pretty positive force in kind of like the um the manga Twitter content creator sphere, I guess. That's a very specific sphere, but like um, <laughs> y- y- you're always retweeting everything from everybody and like you're y- getting the word out to stuff that like I don't usually hear about and I'm like, "Oh, this person did this." Um, I only know about it because you you retweeted it um so you, you you definitely uh spread the love
1: oh thank you. i wanna continue to support like everyone's different perspectives and the w- great work so many people are doing you know and just talking about series and sharing really insightful uh thoughts on them so I'm glad that i seem to be making a good uh uh impact in that regard but thank you guys so much you know I've been listening to manga machinations for a few years now. Uh, and you know, again, I I've learned a lot about a lot of interesting series like these stars from your discussions, and I really appreciate your conversations and different perspective you guys bring as like people who live in you know different places. And you uh, know, Daikazu, you have access to you know Japanese magazines, you can read stuff in Japanese uh, that haven't been translated, and you know, you guys all have different tastes and interests, so you always bring you know a lot of new things to discussion you cover a huge variety of different series and i love all your different formats too so uh i really like love your guys show it was a pleasure to talk with you guys
3: thank you thank you we we like doing a podcast (laughs) it's fun (laughs) yes thank you very much
4: and if you want to listen to our podcast you can find it on itunes spotify any of the places that list podcasts Uh, we also just launched a website a couple months back mugamachinations.com and you can find us on twitter at manga mac podcast that's manga mac podcast
0: all right all right uh but i guess uh you guys can also let our listeners know where they can find you individually and whatnot as well
4: oh sure uh, my personal twitter is at Dakazoo. uh i'm
3: at darfox 8
2: my Twitter is at Morgana Relina, M-O-R-G-A-N-A-R-H-A-L-I-N-A. And I also have my own website, Mongomaven.com.
4: Oh, and I want to add that um, Darfox covered a lot of this when we were talking about stars, but Darfox wrote a really great um, editorial about Beastars and uh, race Parables.
3: People should go read that. Honestly, I was just kind of regurgitated a lot what I said here from there. So... <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, but that's—it's a fascinating read. I definitely, we definitely will like recommend it uh, in the show notes because there's definitely stuff that we didn't actually go into this podcast and uh, some examples of things that happened in the series that we didn't discuss that are is definitely uh, really insightful to read. So yeah, definitely check that out if you want more thoughts on Beastars stars and maybe like a, a really uh, structured and like uh, insightful uh, essay. Thanks once again to the Manga Machinations crew for coming on the show and discussing Beastars with us. That was a fantastic conversation, and we can't wait to hopefully talk with these guys again uh in the near future, and it's always a pleasure to talk with Morgana, of course. And yeah, it was just awesome to talk about Beastars, like I first learned about the series from listening to their podcast, and... Now, finally getting a chance to read the series, it was great to talk about what makes it so special with them. And I will continue to read Beastars. I think both of us will. Because, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's definitely one of the best new manga titles to come out in English this year and in recent memory. Uh Really, really excited and looking forward to reading more of the story. But, yeah, that about does it for our Stars episode. So I guess we'll just wrap things up. Briefly, with some community shout-outs. So, there were many events that I attended in Anime NYC, but one event that I was thinking of going to, but ended up not going to, was the premiere of a new Yuri OVAC movie called Fragtime which I was initially interested in because it had some of the same creative staff as uh, the Kaze-san movie that I saw at Anime NYC last year that I really really enjoyed but at Anime NYC I talked with Erica Friedman founder of Okazu and Yuri Khan you know, veteran Yuri scholar and I asked if she was going to be at Fragtime and she said yes but she told me that she was not looking for forward to it because it seemed like it was going to be really really bad really really creepy and apparently it was and she wrote a great piece on Okazu kind of going into what makes Fragtime's premise so disappointing and gross in a way and how it centers its relationship on kind of manipulative characters and invading other characters' personal privacy by upskirting them it sounds very unpleasant, and the experience of watching it and the panel itself also makes me very glad that I did not go, because as Erica describes it, uh, in contrast to the enthusiasm for causes on in that panel, like with this one, apparently people really were not prepared with good questions, a lot of people were left during the screening, people really we're not happy or praising this movie at all so the room was kind of very awkward like oh, during boy. the movie and after it was gone so it sounded like a really uncomfortable time just all around so Erica wrote a great review a fair review also kind of addressing some strengths of the the special but also emphatically not recommending it and also doing a great write-up of the panel. So I wanted to recommend that. And also, now I want to also recommend kind of some Sakuga-related things. Recently, our good friend Josh Dunham has returned to writing pieces for Wave Motion Canon, And he recently watched the first episode of Fire Force and was blown away by it. And then he wrote up a great piece going into the production of Fire Force, what makes the series lend itself so well to animation, backgrounds on the creative staff, like the director, Yuke Yaze, and what he brought to the work that really brought new life into the manga, of course, going into Detail on the animation And several key figures Responsible for making Such unique stylized animation So this is a great piece Of animation analysis On the first episode of Fire Force And I always love Josh's writing on animation And highly recommend it I'm very very glad that he's returning To the space to provide more Editorials and uh, insights On animation like this Really really great stuff But also speaking of Sakaga Sakuga blog has also made a great piece that I really appreciated on uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon's animation. Really going into what the team of Sun and Moon was able to accomplish with this series in terms of making a show that was consistently expressive and inventive, and playful with its animation. Also going into the history of Pokemon at the series in terms of its production and how it keeps trying to iterate upon itself and improve upon itself and how Sun and Moon is kind of like the apex of creative freedom. That they've been able to achieve with each progressive series. And of course, they go into specific animators that made really outstanding contributions, as well as the contributions of the creative staff that has been with the series from the beginning, like, of course, uh, veteran key animator Masake Iwane. In general, this is a great tribute to Pokemon Sun and Moon and what made it such a special series, such a beautifully animated series from beginning to end one of the most beautifully animated shows just on television in the past couple of years is pokemon sun and moon so really really great highlight of that the series of strengths and what they are able to achieve with the show so definitely want to recommend all three these pieces as the like new shout outs for this week definitely check them out they're very informative and entertaining reads
0: Mm-hmm, For sure. We'll definitely uh, leave a link to all that in the show notes. But uh, before we head out, you know, we might as well start plugging our stuff here. So Lum, where can the can people find you?
1: You can find me at Lon on Twitter and as Lon Ramiyasha on a variety of places like Animation, Levelation, and Annie List. Wherever there's Lon that's where you can find me. You can also read my manga reviews, movie reviews, all sorts of things on all comedy.com and we've got a ton of manga reviews and movie reviews and all sorts of anime NYC coverage coming to that site soon. So definitely check that out. But. Again, to mention my Twitter, I also recently did a ton of treads related to the Rumiko Takashi Mega Poll, basically making a tread for each one of the lists, including all the episode lists for every series and then the top anime list, the top songs list. I haven't written the top characters list out right now, but I will get to work on that this weekend. So if you want, like, complete English language coverage of the results of the NHK Rumor make Mega Poll, like head on to my Twitter because I'm providing what I have not seen anyone else do. So, I mean, I just want to share the results and make them known to more people. So,
0: really, really cool stuff, uh, in my opinion, the Mega Poll. But yeah, let's check all that stuff out. All right. Definitely go check all that out. But as for me, I'm Colting. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also produced a few other podcasts, which you can basically find all the links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. There you'll find links to shows such as Life Lessons, the Intama Manga Cast, which is on a hiatus at the moment, but you can still check it out, as well as One Podcast Prevails, a Detective Conan podcast I house with my friend, Doctor, over at the Ask Backwards Anime podcast, and as well as a... uh, as a, as a podcast exclusive to the Patreon over at that network, The Poltergeist Report, where uh, I sit down with Doctor as he goes through Yu Yu Hakusho for the first time, and I get to guide him through that journey. It's very fun. And you can listen to it for only a dollar, I think. I'll have to double-check that. Um, I think it's a dollar, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, as for manga mavericks and all, co- all comic and all that stuff... You can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast first over at all-comic.com. It's where we post every episode first, unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. If you subscribe to our $2 tier, you basically get access to early editions of the podcast, depending on when we have those edited. Uh, for those listening to this episode if you were if you are a patron, you got to listen to our b stars discussion at least two days before it went up on our main feed and uh yeah, so if you want to possibly listen to early editions of uh upcoming podcasts, please subscribe to that tier or if you want to uh listen to some exclusive content. If you sign up for our $5 tier, you get access to a bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, uh, we are just about to conclude our first read-through over at the Manga Mavericks Book Club of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1, Phantom Blood. Uh, the final episode of that will be coming out on November 30th. That is Sunday, November 30th. And then after that, uh, you know, we... I, I, I think it's safe to say we have a special bonus podcast in the works for uh, for the end of December, and then after that, going into the new year, we, we have some other read-throughs planned, but uh, again, nothing nothing really set in stone yet, but we will definitely let you guys know uh, when that is more set in stone. Uh, but for now, please subscribe to our Patreon again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It is the best way to support us and our content. Um, but uh, as for all comic in general uh you could follow us on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore but if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com both of those are pretty much the best place to uh, get the latest updates on the podcast especially twitter you should also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com/ manga mavericks uh, where we post different excerpts of our podcast including different news pieces, different interviews, uh, manga discussions and reviews, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again that's at youtube.com/ manga Mavericks uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com um, you know what, what are you reading? Uh, what did you think what, what do you think of B stars? and all that uh but really just anything uh relating to manga the podcast again we will read it on the show at manga at gmail.com but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcasts uh that really helps the visibility of our show and really just helps us grow in general so please if you have the time and you so wish please please go leave us a rating and a review and so yeah that's gonna about do it for the show And, uh, yeah, this has been episode 104 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 105. Bye, guys. Sayonara!